Hello, I'm Ben. Hello, I'm Tom. And this is Sunglasses at Night podcast, episode 19, 90s wrap-up. Yes, normally we put on our metaphorical Ray-Bans, or literally, we're both wearing Ray-Bans right now, so they're literal and figurative, and we go back through the ARIA charts and look at the number ones of the last year, Uh, that's the Australian Recording Industry Association charts, but uh, seeing as it's the end of the decade, we thought, heck... Let's do something different, and I, by different I mean the same as what we did at the end of the last decade, <laughs> which is to have a bit of a wrap-up, look at the decade in total and, you know, see what happened. Absolutely. Look, Tom, we're throwing caution to the wind. We're not letting, you know, the restrictions of our usual format bind us to no. what we talk about. We're, you know, effectively week to week. We have no say <laughs> in when I talk That's about right. certain things in this podcast it, I'm, I'm merely a conduit. I, I don't choose to talk about these things. The Australian ARIA charts, you know, the, the, the people from the, the people from the nineties who bought the songs have decided what we will talk about now. But today we get a bit more free reign. Yes. We can discuss not whatever we want. I have sort of set a few boundaries. It hasn't, it's not like we're just going to talk about anything. I'm not just going to talk about Eurobeats for, you know, 90, <laughs> 95, 100 minutes. No, 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 no. I think sort of we've spoken a lot about Eurobeats over a lot. You know, will I talk about some Eurodance? I might do. Probably. I might not. Who knows? But yeah. <laughs> so that's it. 90s rap where we just sort of look at a few of the, the bits and pieces from the decade, so yeah. to speak. Um, Tom... Personally, do you you know is there anything about the '90s musically that 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 touched you that sort of you remember something that you enjoyed something that just sort of you look back at and go oh I can I can well, really remember that I think uh, the problem which may may or may not become evident as this episode goes on is that if anything in the '90s I had possibly too much musical oh uh, exposure you know, too like much. Yep. as Chris Rock once said. Whatever's playing on the radio when you start getting laid mm. is always going to have a special place in your heart, sort of quality notwithstanding, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'll always have a special place for, you know, Def FX, for instance, who are a fairly terrible Australian sort of metal electro experimental band that was the first gig that I ever saw at the Hobart Uni, the first, yeah. you know, proper, proper, the first gig that I consciously bought a ticket going, oh, I like that band, I'll go and see them. And we travelled to Hobart to go and see there and we Absolutely. had to get in and that sort of thing. And Yeah. Well, say what you will about that, Tom, but um, the psychoactive summer is like <laughs> no other. So I, I think you can agree with that. I watched their first video on just, just flicking back through, wondering if it could come in handy for any of this. It was called um, Cosmic Surfer, I think. Oh, yep. Yeah, and it was... Um, no, Surfers of the Mind, sorry. Uh-huh. And he's watching the video, and they're like, they're almost uni age. And I think that the, it was the guys in the band, they found uh, Fiona Horn, the lead singer. And you just look at just the frozen freeze frame of the start of the video, and you're like, oh, well, I can see where they picked her because she looks like a supermodel. 
But then you see, and then the music starts, and she's fully into it. Like you can tell that, like she's not putting it on. They're they're just thrashing around stage like proper uni students at a metal gig. Yeah. But then uh, the trouble starts when she starts singing. <laughs> it's not. Like, she's not a great singer. She's not a great singer. But, but you know, hey, a lot of uni age bands have people who aren't great singers. But it's more the fact that the notes don't tend to arrive on the beats of yep. the music so much. <laughs> Like those two things combined, really, you've got to have one or the other. You do, you know? yeah. Auto tune goes a long way these days, but I it can't it can't really fix not landing the words on the notes. For sure. Look, sometimes Tom, they will select vocalists for a band um, for reasons other than their vocal ability, mm. and obviously, as you mentioned, Def FX selected someone who was probably more attractive than the dudes in the band <laughs> to bring someone in. Yes. Occasionally, you know, say Wicked Wisdom, um, they will get Jada Pinkett Smith. Because because of her celebrity status. That's right. She's not very good. Or um, that guy, who was the dude who did um, Sonia Dada, who was just coincidentally <laughs> happened to a, a be billionaire. a billionaire, and he yep. found some subway buskers who wanted to really get in on the act because of their shared love of this particular kind of music and not to do with the fact that he had a billion dollars. Exactly right. Did I mention that he had a billion dollars? Because he had a billion dollars. He had a billion dollars to put together Sonia Dada. What a waste of money. You <laughs> I know. Put that was the best that. thing you could do. Sonia Dada is the, with a billion dollars in your bank, that is the best thing you can do. Holy shit, anyway. yeah. But um, also, I think I'll probably talk a little bit more about this later, but um, sure. also Vanilla Ice... The film Cool as Ice, Tom. I know one of your favourites. You've got yes. the tattoo. It's um, you may recall in the soundtrack that Vanilla Rice, you may, you may or may not recall, but in the soundtrack, Vanilla Rice uh, teamed up with Naomi, Naomi Campbell oh, for yeah. a track. Um, yeah. She did the vocals on a song. Is she I a good vocalist? <laughs> not at all. Is she a supermodel? <laughs> yes, she is. So yes. one may suggest that, yeah, yet again, we don't always choose the, the best vocalist yes. for, for these sort of roles. I remember she was in the Keep It In The Closet video with Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. In that video, they wisely decided that she should uh, not sing so much as stick to sort of dancing around with not heaps of clothes on. Completely. <laughs> exactly. I'm not saying that's the role that women should be relegated to in pop no. music. I'm just saying perhaps her particularly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. If you don't have the best vocals and you're a model, perhaps it's best to sort of be mm. seen. And, seen and, well, I guess as a model, your your job generally is to be seen and sort of not, yeah. not so much for the, I mean, for even, the singing. Even with like Fiona Horn from Def FX, like yep. so much of a lead singer's job is like, Energy, stage presence, physical appearance, the way you carry off the... Vo- not just the look of yourself, but the look of the band and the whole thing. Yep. It's just, you know, it must be just really frustrating if you're in the breast of the band going, oh, she's so good at this stuff. Just the actual singing part. Yeah, exactly right. You get a, you get a vocal coach in and you sort of hopefully can sort of... <laughs> yeah, these days they're out. just like... Um, what's that video for... Um, uh, rock in the suburbs where it cuts to Weird Al Yankovic behind the mixing desk and he slides down one one slider that's shit and pushes one up that's good exactly <laughs> they it's, do a bit of that action it's so simple yeah. it's so simple yeah. exactly. and what about you what about you you must have had many formative musical memories oh look Tom one of my favourite um, musical memories from the 90s is that I went to a, a daytime um, Launceston regatta <laughs> Sure. Down by the waterfront um, on the Tamer River mm-hmm. in Launceston, as we know, just sort of um, the list. This is getting a bit too in depth to detail for any, the listeners that aren't from Launceston. But um, near Launceston College, you know, there's a big the big yeah. wall to stop the floods coming in. 
sort of around that area. So I remember going there um, for Launceston Regatta Day. They had some musical acts on. They should have had more bands down there. That was a natural it was, it was sort a, of amphitheatre Absolutely. Type thing. So showed up there. Uh, as you can imagine, Regatta Day, a bit of a family day, you know, some food, some music, some various type of boating things. Um, and around 11am, I saw um, a, a teenage black metal band come on, Tom. <laughs> Full corpse paint, um, which is what you want at 11 a.m. The drummer couldn't make it, so they just they didn't bought they didn't have a drummer, so it was just a dude on guitar like playing this sort of little in a guy going in court, no drums, Um, just that in front of just stunned families thinking, what the fuck is this? And I think even people that were into black metal were probably going, what in the living shit is this? Probably to this day, the worst live thing I've ever seen um, in the flesh. Just completely insane for 11am at a regatta. Who booked the band? Mm. I don't really know. Mm. So that's oh, yeah, one but highlight. Sure, sure. You'd take the piss out of that now. But if David Walsh did it at Dark Mofo, True. you'd be all like, oh, look at this experimental. <laughs> you know, he's exactly confronting right. people with this style of music they're not accustomed you're to. You're right. They were 25 years ahead of their time. <laughs> so they're pushing the envelope. And of course now, yeah, you're right. People would love that now. A Tasmanian sort of... Black metal band doing something pretty crazy. So that was good. Oh, I probably also saw Spider Bait at the casino time. I, <laughs> I don't know whether that actually happened. But um, yeah. certainly I did remember, I did go to um, the Silver Dome. I oh, definitely yes. went to the yep. Silver Dome at some stage and saw um, Christina Nu. <laughs> Oh, okay. At the Basin concert. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep. One year, the Basin concert yep. got rained out, so they moved it to the Silver Dome. So I probably oh, saw okay, that. Probably, sure. And she was there. I can't even remember whether Did I saw Did you go her. and see the legendary uh, presidents of the USA slash the Cranberries gig at the Silver Dome? Um... Oh, I didn't. I think that was in Hobart. I think they did. They play in Launceston as well. Or I thought th- I didn't go, but I think they played at the Silver Dome. Yeah. They may have played in Hobart too. Yeah, it was it was legendary at the time because just the f- quite literally international bands never played in Tasmania yeah. at all. And that's they do why, now sometimes, but they never ever did back then. So, and yeah. that's why the presidents of the United States of America <laughs> were such a they were a smart band, Tom, mm. because what they did was they said. Here's a state in Australia where no international bands play. Yeah. It's never happened before. Therefore, they're not going to care about quality mm. of songs, musicianship. <laughs> they're not going to be discerning you know, fans at all. So we should show up because we don't have any of the above things and we can play and people will be well, blown they away. They were by on the Triple J at the time, to be fair. like It's not like they were just... No. The only thing going for them was that they were from another country. Like no. They did have like kind of radio hits. I mean, sure. Were they mystifying radio hits that now seem very odd that ever what, popular? What was your yes. favourite, Tom? Were you were you a Kitty fan? Were you a Lump fan? Were you a Peaches fan? I was a I was a Lump fan. Yep. You know, I got on the, the President's train early. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And once you're on, you never get off. That's I'm true. still on there. <laughs> sure. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, moving to the country, I'm going to eat a lot sure. of peaches. Yep. I think those lyrics... Um, They're as true today as they ever were. For sure, absolutely correct. Um, uh, the electronic stuff—that was the other big thing in the '90s. I went to my first rave, yep. which was quite an experience. I mean, you know, goes without saying, really. The, the, I think the, where was the, it, Tom? Where it was, was the rave? at the Hue and Keys at the end of Hobart Docks, oh, yep. around the corner from the Point, sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Which they used to use for various 
concert stuff there. Yeah, and I remember going. I mean, I'd been to sort of dance. I've been to kind of half-ass things like that in the past, but this was kind of this was let's had posters up and stuff yep. like that. It wasn't just some guys rented a smoke machine for the weekend. And we went there and we actually had ecstasy, which was like the first time I'd sort of taken it properly. And I remember walking up to the door, you know, there's a big crowd of people milling around the front, people coming in, going out. And as we were there, there was someone literally being stretched out <laughs> by the ambulance crew. And these, like in the old days with the raves, like it wasn't a proper illegal rave unless it had no proper facilities, yeah, no proper security, no proper bar or anything like that. There might be some impromptu thing or there might be somebody selling uh, water out of eskies or something like that, yeah. but no actual employed staff. But the salvo, the uh, ambulance would show up for free. Like they would oh, just, yeah. the volunteers would be there just because they knew what might happen. Correctly, as it turned out, because I saw other people getting stretched out later yep. on. So, yeah. So let's just say, Tom, um, uh, on the record, uh, Sunglasses at Night podcast, we are pro-pill testing. Is that correct? <laughs> We're all yes. for that. Pill testing is one of those cyclical arguments like uh, heroin, you know, Test, safe like, yeah. injecting so, rooms yeah. and abortion available to all that it will never be settled because it just goes round and round in a circle with people. So that argument will never be settled. But yes, in theory, it would be great if people weren't accidentally taking Christ knows what and having meltdowns. Completely true. Exactly right. So look, um, well, that's good to know, Tom. Some some uh, interesting personal anecdotes. Oh, hey, I'm just, I was just trying to get across the fact that there was a lot of different <laughs> musical stuff happening in the 90s. It wasn't just that I was a teenager. There was like, yeah, there was all sorts of shit happening, as we'll see as we go on. It's almost too much really to wrap up. Like, there oh, was yeah. too, so much fucking People thing. talk, and you know, people say that there wasn't a lot happening in Tasmania in the 90s. Well, you've just, look at that, you've hit the nail on the head there with the presidents of the United States of America. <laughs> I think I mentioned Spider Bait. There was sure. raves. I saw um, a teenage black metal band in a park. That's so right. I think across all the green spoon played once. <laughs> Silverchair probably came down. We've got <laughs> all that sort of... Christ, I mentioned Christina New. That's we had right. the Basin concert. There would have been a whole yes. array of heavy hitters there, like the Mavises and um, <laughs> who else would have been there? I don't know. Oh, heaps, no. heaps of the guys, for sure. So uh, The other thing, too, that did make it, as the decade went on as well, it became easier to get hold of music. Like, yeah. we weren't quite up to the musical downloading era yet, no. but it became easier to watch music on TV. There bit more radio stations opened up and started playing more different types of music. We had more TV channels, and they played more varied stuff. And the censorship laws went down, so you could play more controversial stuff as well. So correct, yes. Yeah, so as our as we got went through our teenage years, it became easier to watch music. And yeah, you're right. At the start of the '90s, we had um, Seven LA and mm. um, Better Music and Still No Racing. Seven LA, sorry, That's and right. that was about it. And by the end of the '90s, we had yeah, of course, um, Triple J, which was a big yeah, game changer. And Rage every weekend. Rage they would every play week. from like 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. all the way through the night. You would just You'd get a couple of uh, double play VHS tapes and put them in, yep. go to bed and then see what you dredged up the next morning and just, <laughs> just pick like random music videos from, you know. Sometimes you'd get um, a tyre and some gumboots and other, week, <laughs> other weeks you would get, you know, a some... A little nugget called a, Lump by the President. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. 
She's, All right. in, she's in my head. So well, let's look, actually John, get on with it. Yeah, let's jump in. Jump in. So look, um, I've, I've, I've cracked. Uh, I've, I've done the stats. Oh again. yeah, hit me um, up. Done the stats. People, people were probably bored shitless last time, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it real succinct. So, um, 129 unique songs through the decade. Number ones. Yep, 129 okay. number ones. So what's that? About 10 a year. Yep. 10, 12s, 120s, something like that. So there you go. <laughs> Um, unique artists, 113 unique mm-hmm. artists. So yeah, so quite diverse there. So there wasn't yeah. a lot of so 129 songs, 113 artists, but including duets, there's 120, and by that I mean so um, Prince did it. No, Prince didn't do a duet, did he? No, this year, no, no. Yes. I'm thinking Sting. Oh, yes. And Rod Stewart yep. and Brian Adams. Yep. So if you count those as three separate people, that's <laughs> I think George Michael duetted with someone, didn't he? Oh yeah, he did. That's true. Yeah, um, <laughs> knew you were waiting for me or something. Or uh, unless I'm it. thinking of the eighties, <laughs> probably. Um, so yeah, 129 songs, 113 unique artists. Brian Adams had the most number ones of the decade with four. Sucks. I was hoping to be Prince. Three Fuck solo it. ones, which are all dog shit, and then of and course that gangbang duet. single yeah. with Sting and Rod Stewart <laughs> that we know about. Uh, Silverchair, Euphoria and Savage Garden were all tied for Australian artists they all had two each so I've always said that Euphoria was as good a band as Silverchair and I think this sort of proves proves it it. is correct so um, one week 29 songs were number one for just one week okay two weeks 21 three weeks 14 etc etc Right down to the longest was one song was number one for 13 weeks. Was that the Princess Di one? Coolio. Oh, Gangster's yeah, Paradise. Yeah, yes. I think Princess Di was 12. Yep. I think so, that, yeah, yep. but... 11 or 12, I think. So, yeah, he got a full one there. So, yeah, tw- 29 hell. songs one week and then weeks 13 weeks for, for Gangster's Coolio. Paradise. Jeez. Exactly. So, Truly, we were living in a Gangster's Paradise. Oh, we were, absolutely. In I've tried to determine whether they were one-hit wonders or not. So by one, my definition of one-hit wonder is if the song didn't reach the top ten in any, like if they sorry if they didn't have another song that oh, reached okay. the top ten. Yeah. So if they had another song that was that was yet yeah, ninth, then yes, they're not a one-hit wonder. So for example, right said Fred. Technically not a one-hit wonder using my <laughs> determination because mm. I had another top 10 song with that thing, uh, Deeply Dippy, I think, oh, which is Christ. one of the worst yep. songs of the decade. Absolute <laughs> fucking garbage. So based on that, um, about 20% were one-hit wonders and 80% had other hits. So there you go. Oh, a lot okay. of one-hit wonders yep. in the 90s. But yeah, genre-wise, I've tried to break this down. Comedy, I use that term very loosely, 1%. Country, 1%. Pop. 30%. Most were pop, as you can imagine. Yep. T- 12% dance, which, you know, there's a lot of Eurobeat, so we know that yeah. that's it. Lower than I would have thought. 26 rock, 11% rap, which is higher than the yeah. 80s. You never lot of rap. And I've put down 20% as ballad, and I've used ballad as any weak shit, any <laughs> slow, weak shit. So some of them are rock ballads. Yeah. Some of them are just no. fucking Celine Fair Dion point. trash. So anyway... Um, looking at the countries that they came from, so 13% were Australian artists yep. for number one. So there you go. 13% also UK. That's not much. Not a lot I from Australia. I think would yeah. have done better in the 80s. So about one, yeah, so only a little bit over one in 10 were Australian. US, 50%. Yep. So half Seems the number fair. ones came from there. 
Canada, 7%, and then 2% Germany. What about the UK? Um, they had 13% as well. See, that's... You know, you and think then, of the 90s with Britpop, you'd think there'd be more than exactly, 13%. Exactly. Yeah. So Australia, UK, US dominated this decade with yeah. half number ones from that. And then a few other random ones. So, you know, like Netherlands, you know, our mm. favourite, dare I say, the, the Gabba <laughs> hit that was. Here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. New Zealand, 1%. Denmark, they, you know, they batted above their average on this one, 2.3% because of thank you, Aqua. Good on you guys. Christ. Sweden... Puerto Rico and Spain, a few, um, yeah, 1% each of those. Type of artist, I've tried to break this into category, solo male, 22%. Mm-hmm. So about a quarter was solo male. Yep. Solo female, 20%. So roughly the same That's there. more than the 80s. The yeah. women, there's more women. Than so the solo women. male and solo female, very, very close, about the same. Yep. Duet, 5%. Charity Gang had 0% this <laughs> decade. Thank fuck for that. Male group, 33%, a yeah. third Romeo group. Female group, only 5%, so yeah. which is pretty weird. So not a lot of... I know that sounds bad, but that was more female representation in the 80s. I remember that. And the, the 80s was completely dominated by more solo male. There exactly. was way more solo male. And then a male-female mixed group, 16%. So, you know, all your heavy hitters there, like your steps, for example, yeah. that's fit into that, yep. that category. <laughs> Um, and then last one, I've tried to just compare with the US, UK, and New Zealand. So as I mentioned, Australia had 129 number one songs in the decade. Oh, yeah. US had 145, so a few more. UK had 206. Did you say we had 129? 129 in the decade, yeah. No shit. Yep, different different songs. 129 unique songs oh, throughout okay. the decade. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, yep. I thought you meant total. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So over that 10-year period. Um, so yeah, UK had 206, so they had a, a heap more. And then oh, New Zealand, I see what you mean. Yep. Yeah, so they had more diversity across. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. So whereas, you know, 129 songs, so we had an average of about 10 a year. So yeah, one a month, they much, had 206 in the UK. So a lot more frequent turnover there. Yeah. So in terms of crossover, so songs that were hits in Australia mm-hmm. and also hits in the US... 66% were the same, so about two-thirds of the song were also big in the US. 80% were also hits in the UK, 75% also in New Zealand, and songs that were only a hit in Australia, about 10%. Mm, so okay. 10% of the, and mostly Australian artists, but also yeah. a couple of random ones like Here's Johnny that seemed to... I reckon the 80s did better for that too. Exactly. For the, for the well... So there's some bullshit stats that no one cares about. Done, sure. done and dusted. There you go. So um, once again, that's mostly for people that attend work quiz nights, which will be a thing of the future, I guess, one day. And mm. people can say <laughs> how many song, what was the you know longest running number one of the '90s, and someone can go, "Oh, it's hey, Coolio." I learned that off know. a fucking podcast. There you go. Cool. So um, moving on, Tom, to to what I'd like to talk about next, if it's okay with you. So effectively, um, we've talked about all the number ones of the decade. We've gone through 129 of them. Some good, some dog shit, Mm -hmm. some mediocre. But what about the songs that didn't quite get there? The ones that were not quite the... Oh, um, okay. just wanted to have a look at that. So effectively, what I've got is I've trawled through and I've been able to find what was effectively the second biggest song. Sorry, that's not right. The biggest song of each year 
that didn't reach number one. Oh, okay, sure. So I've been able to, to track down that data from ARIA. Thank you. Um, not to ARIA themselves, just some <laughs> website that I found <laughs> no. it off. But yeah, so effectively, 1990, the, the biggest song of the year that didn't reach number one was Michael Bolton's How Am I Supposed to Live Without You? Mm. You're a Michael Bolton fan, Tom? Oh, God. I don't know how I lived without him. No, exactly. Look, this is... um. The, what I'll say about this one, Tom, is that Michael Bolton, so he wrote this <laughs> originally back in the 80s, a yep. long time ago, and it was recorded by one of our favourites on the podcast, Laura Brannigan. Ah, yes. Um, yep. So her, her self-control video, remember we mentioned it in the 80s rap, the one that was sort of like a <laughs> yep. weird rape fantasy, but it was good time. So Bolton then decided that he needed to record his own version in 1998. So, so 1988, sorry. So he was... He was a songwriter, he wrote all the songs, yep. and then he went, sorry, I need my own fame, went out and recorded this. It reached number two in Australia. He wasn't quite able to hit number one um, with this song, nor the follow-up, How Can We Be Lovers If We Can't Be Friends? Mm. Now, Tom, that song does raise a legitimate question. How can we be lovers <laughs> if we can't be friends? How can we start over when the fighting never ends? How can we make love if we can't make amends? <laughs> How can we be lovers if we can't be can't be friends? <laughs> Do you think that that is you know is that fair? Is that a fair assessment of sort of a relationship? Has Michael Bolton hit the nail on the head with that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it doesn't really play with his image, no. does it? It just I don't know. He he really pioneered and exhibited for his whole career a style of singing. It was very popular in the 80s and was overtaken, thank Christ, in the 90s by other styles of singing. Yeah. And I like to... It's, to me, it sounds like someone trying to whisper as loudly as possible. Yeah. Like to use... To make... To create as much volume as possible without... With the minimum amount of actual notes and the most amount of breath being forced out of your neck hold. Yeah. And uh, Brian Adams was an exponent of this as well. There's another artist who came up later on who is also very big with that style. But yeah. I mean, hey, he built a career out of it, you know. So. This adult contemporary stuff is fucking trash, isn't it? So yeah, it's sort of really yeah. hard to know what it appeals to. Yeah, it's pretty, great. pretty bad. But what I will say is, um, Tom, Sorry, just, just, just a person, not personal for me, but a friend of mine um, works at the casino in Hobart. Yeah. And for many years doing sort of, um, I guess, the entertainment sort of stuff. So backstage, I guess, you know, the sound design and the mixing desk and various other things. So Michael Bolton performed there um, oh, yeah. not that long ago. Oh, in the last 10 years, I'd say. I can't remember exactly when it was. And um, so a friend of mine said, yeah, got to meet Michael Bolton backstage with him. It was in the summertime, a little bit warm. Uh, a friend of mine, the guy that was working there said, oh, look, you know, it's a bit hot here in the dressing room put the air conditioning on for you if you want. And Michael Bolton turned to him and just said, I don't do air. <laughs> Says a lot about the man, I think. So <laughs> he doesn't do air. Um, so Michael Bolton, I don't know whether that means sort of across all types of air, <laughs> oxygen, whether he doesn't do that as well. But um, if you do run into Michael Bolton on a hot day and you mm. offer to put, turn the air conditioning on, just be aware that he will turn you down. So Maybe yeah. he had a terrible air habit and had to get a rehab. <laughs> probably since did. then he's been, you know, he uh, just doesn't do air. Yeah, it's fair enough. Well, that's the thing. We probably don't really know whether, yeah, you're right. Was it might explain why his singing style sounds like he's being choked to death while he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Much like Brian Adams, unless that's just me projecting my desire to choke Brian Adams to death while he's singing. Oh, uh, Brian Adams is sort of like um, all the goodwill that he'd built up with me in the 80s, he definitely... <laughs> 
definitely used up in this decade. So much trash. So I swore it was going to be Prince with the most number ones. Oh, I was hoping he so. He must have had at least... Prince had, like, had him multiple times. Had a, I think he, he had a few in the three, 80s. Yeah, surely. But Anyway, exactly. Please. Cool. 1991, second biggest song of the year was Tom, Guns N' Roses, You Could Be Mine. <laughs> yeah. Actual rock and roll. For sure. Now, this was a lead single from Use Your Illusion 2 and featured in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It sure did. Um, apparently, <laughs> this is what I found interesting. Arnie had Guns N' Roses over for dinner to negotiate <laughs> the deal of including this song in the film. Can mm. you fucking imagine that dinner party? <sighs> I like to imagine that. Arnie... <laughs> Slash, um, what JFK's <laughs> niece, whoever the fuck Arnie was married to at the time, Duff just hanging out, going, "Oh, can we get that?" It would have been like, what would the appetizers have been? What would cocaine. have been cocaine? Just a silver tray of cocaine yeah. carried over, by a midget. <laughs> when he says over for dinner, I'm using that in inverted commas because I don't think there'd be a lot of food consumed with the amount of drugs they're on. So, look, a Use Your Illusion double album did draw some criticism due to being over long, and many fans thought they'd change direction with you know a lot more piano ballad mm-hmm. type work. But this is one of the hardest rocking songs on there. It's pretty rad, isn't it? And it's I not, love it. It's not written. It's got a real driving, thing, propulsive thing, which works perfectly for Terminator 2, even though the lyrics show that it is clearly not written for Terminator no, 2. They must have no. just used it inadvertently. And unusually for songs, for movies of the era, the song actually features, uh, what's the word? It's... Uh, diegetic in the film like oh, it's yeah. literally it's not just like a lot of the time with the 80, with the 90s movie soundtrack songs they didn't even feature in the film they might be over the credits or they might yep. be on the inspired by a soundtrack this not only features <laughs> prominently in the film but it's literally playing he's playing it from a boombox boom yeah, in, exactly. in a crucial scene while he, he burns off on his dirt bike to show that he's foster parents that doesn't give a fuck exactly you know? right John Connor didn't care that was sick yeah it's, it's <laughs> fucking awesome I think you're right it's, it's completely rad um, what I wish is though that as we sort of discussed previously in other episodes James Cameron should have stuck with Guns N' Roses how <laughs> fucking much better would Titanic have been with mm. um, Get In The Ring yes, from his religion yeah. too yep. where Axel just in that song Axel just calls out people from yes, magazines he's just got a list of grievances <laughs> people have just written shit reviews you a hard time so. it's like he invented the rap beef before the rappers got around exactly. to it it's just like he's got a list of paper with people he doesn't like yeah just imagine the ti- the Titanic's going down it's just Axel going get in the ring yeah. he'd be on the stern just, while yeah. the boat's going down just just, just, just abusing people the last words are just yeah. while his head goes underwater just fucking yelling at a guy from Kerrang <laughs> who said that gave you know use your illusion three out of five three out of not good enough bro not good (laughs) enough so it was pretty sweet Uh, in this video clip the T-800 is sent to assassinate the band you may recall this in the video clip so Arnie shows up to kill the band I think it's just been done with effects I don't think they're actually in the same space no but it it looks cool yeah so you know they, they cohabit Visually the same space. So that must have been Axel. And then it says waste of ammo (laughs) so he doesn't kill him, which is very, very clever. I prefer, I think the dinner that they had with uh, ACDC must have gone a lot better than the one they had with Guns N' Roses because in the video for Big Gun, which was 
the song that was in Last Action Hero, Arnie not only appears in the video, but he appears in the video dressed up as Angus Young in a gigantic schoolboy uniform and carries Angus Young on his shoulder, who looks like a ventriloquist <laughs> dummy, down the stage. Yeah, that's quite a good video if you haven't seen it. Two plates of cocaine <laughs> to sort of get, get Arnie to agree to that. So, yeah. Well, look, I'm glad Arnie didn't assassinate Axa Rose because yeah. um, otherwise we would never have been given the chance to enjoy Chinese democracy that's 17 right. years later. That's, so that's exactly thanks right. for that. So that was 1991. 1992, Tom, you're not going to believe this. It's Guns N' Roses' November Rain. You're fucking kidding me. Yep. Num- the highest... So it only made number five on the charts, but it was the biggest song of 1992 that didn't reach number one. Do you reckon yep. that song qualifies as a power ballad? Oh, of course. 100%. It... <laughs> Yeah. It's not quite... The problem is, though, that it, power ballads are generally that sort of three-minute sort of... This is this is more oh, like yeah. a... This is more like a Queen Bohemian Rhapsody sort of goes yeah, through there's, different... There's two versions, actually. That, yep. Yeah. If you listen... If the end of it's got a piano run out, that's the long version. It has this oh, big, okay. long axle piano run out, which is actually really cool. Yep. But, yeah, the radio edit, I think... It's still... The radio edit's still like four and a half minutes yeah. long. So, but, yeah. Oh, look, I think this song's great. Fantastic that it's the second biggest song in 1992. Um, it has one of the greatest slash fucking stupidest music videos that's ever been it's made. It's pretty awesome, so isn't it? It's, it's awesome and at the same time ridiculous. And also the middle of a trilogy, as we discussed <laughs> yeah, previously. Exactly. Which, not even, which they didn't even publicize at the time, no, weirdly. You'd no. think they would have been boasting about that, but no. Yeah, look, my favorite part of the, the video clip, Tom, and we pro- I think we've talked about it in previous <laughs> sort of episodes, but it's definitely when Slash, they're inside the church at the wedding... And there's about mm-hmm. fucking a thousand people in there yep. at, at that wedding. And then Slash leaves the church and um, it's about five square meters big. And also he's in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, so it's on just the edge of, of a cliff. <laughs> so how the hell did anyone get to this sort of... Yeah, then he rips out that solo. And then after he does a solo, it cuts to the back door of the church and everyone leaves and they're just in the city. Despite yeah. the fact that Slash's <laughs> solo that he did 30 seconds later is clearly in the middle of nowhere. And then so the helicopter goes, if, if they'd kept the footage running, the helicopter goes 100 metres further down the cliff and there's John Bon Jovi outside the world's <laughs> smallest uh, movie theatre singing Blaze of Glory on the edge of a cliff. You know, Absolutely. Is, is he going to set fire to that? tiny movie theatre but why would he do that why would what is going on at the edge of this cliff today I don't know it's no a idea what's mystery. going on but look they got a lot of worth out of that helicopter because they mm, filmed and that too cliff. great yeah and that cliff yeah. as well so look great video clip don't know why that dude jumped through the cake when it started yeah. raining no one will ever know that we'll never know um, but yeah look great song great music video um, look Powder Guns and Roses two yeah. years in a row yeah for a you know keeping the glam metal dream alive well into the 90s you know Yep, exactly right. So look, I guess that's the power of releasing two albums instead of a double album. Mm. You've you got so many songs out there, you know, 28 songs or something across the two albums or 29. So a lot, lot there they've released. They've got, so, you know, they can release yeah. singles for five years and that's obviously what they've done. And uh, yep, they've got that. So congratulations to Guns N' Roses, two good songs. 1993, Tom, one of my favourites, Sweat Bracket, A La 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 Long by Inner Circle, which was the second biggest song of uh, 1993. Now, is there anything problematic with these lyrics, Tom? Girl, I'm going to make you sweat, sweat till you can't sweat no more. And if you cry out, I'm going to push it, push it some more. Mm -hmm. 
problematic or is it just hard to know without more context? I think it probably is because I guess if the cry out is, yeah, fuck me in a circle, then it's okay if Mm. that's the cry out. But if um, the cry out is, please stop in a circle, then we clearly have a problem. So we don't know what it is, but it sort of sounds pretty dicey. Like it's sort of, you know, if you cry out, push it, push it some more. But the thing, what Inner Circle have done is they don't give us enough time to contemplate if the song is indeed problematic because they distract us with the a la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 long. Wait a minute. Did they just say that, you know, is that dude like <laughs> having sex with someone against their will? Mm. A la 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 long, 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 yeah. long. So people don't really question it. So smart movement in a circle, sketchy lyrics and yes. shit song. It's appalling. Yeah, it is one What's, of my least favourite songs of all time yeah look Tom um, I I don't know if I've mentioned this before in the podcast but I caught a ferry once from uh, uh, Ireland yes. over <laughs> across to England and the guy on the bus just played this song and Bad Boys <sighs> on repeat over and over oh and over God. again so I had to listen to this for about 12 hours um Bad Boys is the better of the two songs, I think. So I think yes. if I've had to weigh up sort of the best of Inner Circle, um, Bad Boys versus this, mm. definitely choosing Bad Boys. Yes. Uh, do they have any other hits? Probably not. I'm not I sure. Don't who, who the fuck knows exactly. <laughs> um, 1994, Tom, second biggest song of the year. Sorry, the biggest song of the year didn't reach number one. Bon Jovi, Always. Uh, you know this yeah, one? Yeah. Um, look, Tom. That was one of my least favorite ones. Yeah, look, it, the thing is, Tom, you're probably like a lot of people. You may not have heard the whole song because the opening lyric is, This Romeo is bleeding and you can't see his blood. So you may have just turned the radio <laughs> off or through the seat. You know, you may have bought the album, heard that as the first line and went, Oh, this is fucking garbage and just threw the CD out a window. Absolutely appalling. I assumed it was a ghost. This scene, Romeo is bleeding, but you can't see his blood. <laughs> Terrible. But I will say this the music video is one of my favourites of the 90s by, you know, without <laughs> a shadow of a doubt. I don't remember that. Oh, Tom, it's really, really good. It features some dude who I assume is meant to look like a young Bon Jovi. Sure. So he's sort of the main character in this sort of whole thing. His girlfriend is um, Carla uh, Gugino. Oh yeah, who's yep. who's looking famed fu- actress? Yeah. yeah, she's looking fucking hot as hell in this. She I will admit, still does. And um, so what? So young Bon Jovi and her—they're living in an apartment together, and um, their housemate appears to be Kerry Russell, Felicity, member from Felicity. <laughs> so she's the okay. housemate. So the dude—he um, works down in the docks. So yeah. Just... So young Bon Jovi and um, Carla—they film a homemade porno. <laughs> okay <laughs> just sure you know while Felicity's not home at the time she, oh, okay. they make it they film a porno and then they accidentally leave the VHS tape in the player Uh-oh. so Felicity comes home mm-hmm. sits on the couch just says what's in the old VHS player presses play whoops it's the old homemade porno she's like oh shit so a bit awkward she has a bit of a laugh it's okay how old is she in this video oh she of age oh okay <laughs> it's all right. a, don't sure. worry it's not it's not sketchy it's Felicity all, must be it's all street legal sure. okay. all street legal so yeah um so anyway so young bon john and uh kerry russell they end up getting it on so their housemate okay. so it's a bit of an awkward situation sure. young bon john is going out with carla Yep. She's gone out to do the grocery shopping mm-hmm. and then young Bon John and Kerry Russell get together. And what happens is he's left the tape recorder filming. He's filming himself. Oh, okay. So it must be a thing where he just films everyone in bang. <laughs> so sets that up, films it, and then Carla walks in just as they're about to bone. So she sees him. She's oh, like, no. oh, no, oh, my, no. you're my, my boyfriend, my lover. What are you doing with the housemate? So she runs out the door, just 
gets the fuck out of there. And then, you know, she's walking through the town and then she falls asleep in the doorway of a random building. She just sort of crashes okay. out, falls sure. asleep there in the bounty. Then the owner invites her in um, and he lives in this fuck off massive art studio. Okay. Now, he looks like a sex offender, but that's beside the point of this sure. time, Tom. So he's an artist. He starts painting her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she walks in and they have a few drinks, you know, everything's nice and relaxed, you know, she's forgotten about the boyfriend for yep. this stage. So, you know, has a few drinks and ends up taking her, her clothes. He, the artist first takes his shirt off. He likes to paint topless, yep. which is fair enough. He can do what he wants. It's his art studio. She ends up doing the same and takes her clothes off uh, and he paints her in the nude and then they end up boning. Now, she has some regrets when she wakes up, but let's just say that if you fall asleep in the doorway of a building and the owner, who's a complete stranger and appears to be a sex offender, invites you up and you end up in a nude portrait, that's the absolute best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have consensual absolute sex best with case scenario. wake up alive. Yeah, that's <laughs> For probably sure. not a bad You could be fucking murdered. So the fact that, you know, she's like, oh, I regret... So it's also quite a lot of stuff happening in a three-minute... <laughs> There's a lot happening. Also, oh, this is all PG, by the way. So when you say boning, you, you're talking oh, fairly heavily implied. For, yeah, like she wakes up nude in the bed and she's all like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. It's just like, you fucking could have been killed. So it's okay. <laughs> so look, anyway, she calls up the boyfriend mm-hmm. who she's just like, Oh, look, I know you banged Felicity, but look, Hey, let's try and work this out. So he comes over to the apartment, um, <laughs> yep. to sort of go, okay, I'll pick you up. The artist guy, he's out, you know, he's probably got yep. a day job or whatever. So he's out of there. So she, the boyfriend walks in, he sees the painting of her in the nude and he's just fuck. He goes ape shit. He just no. starts smashing stuff, trashes the, the, the painting, the starts smashing up the fucking. Reversed. Exactly. I know, for sure. I know. It's, the it's, irony. It works on a lot of levels. Works on a lot of levels. So smashes up the whole thing, destroys the artwork. Um, but you know what? He doesn't want to get busted. He doesn't want to. So she's like, ah, oh, fuck you. So she storms out. So she's run away. Then yep. he's in there going, oh, fuck, I've trashed this apartment. I might get into trouble, you know, my fingerprints are everywhere. They're going to come and, and realize it was me. So what he does, he just blows the apartment up, just, just sets fire to it oh, okay. with some sort of explosives <laughs> maybe because the whole thing's just blown up, just exploded. There's like like shit's flying everywhere. So there you go. And then uh, when that happens, we see him just walking out of the building and um, then the guy who's the owner, the artist, mm-hmm. he sort of walks towards the, they sort of, their paths cross, but yep. they don't know who each other are. Uh, but then he's just yes. like, oh, my fucking art, my studio's uh. been destroyed. Oh, it's fucked. So anyway, and then cut to the future and we see him looking at photos of Carla thinking, fuck, I probably shouldn't have banged Felicity because he's just like, <laughs> you know, he's by himself now. He's lost both women. Mm-hmm. He probably should be in prison because he's an arsonist. He just set fire to a building and destroyed it. Um, and there you go. So great video clip. The song's fucking garbage though. <laughs> yeah, it And sucks, it does sucks. feature, apart from it's this... It's not ro- even a power ballad. No. It's just a ballad. Um, and they, yeah. Apart from this Romeo is bleeding but you can't see his blood, it does also feature one of the worst lyrics of the uh, 90s. <laughs> I will love you till the words don't rhyme. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. That's fucking that horrible. Sucks okay. Ass. 
Um, up next, Tom, 1995 is Let's Groove by CBD. Now, I know that you don't <laughs> love an R&B sort of soft vocal group, no, do you? No, I fucking hate What it. about an Australian one doing an Earth, Wind & Fire cover? Oh, God. I don't need to say any more about this, but they do also have a song called So Bad with two Ds, just like Color Me Bad. And well, the title of the song is referring to the quality of the song, then they're absolutely not wrong, are they? So there you go. It's a pity they're not around now because their name would be synonymous with, what is it? That American style of hemp oil. Yeah, exactly right. Central business district. People would probably think they were cooler than they are Mm. because they certainly fucking weren't. Oh, they were fucking garbage. Yeah, 1996, um, second biggest song, sorry, biggest song of the year that didn't reach number one, Everything But The Girl Missing. Ah, okay. Now, Tom, I miss you like the deserts miss the rain. Great lyric, but it does pose the question, does the desert actually miss the rain? Because I think everyone listens to that and go, oh, it's so clever. I miss you like the desert misses the rain. But I think by definition, a desert is a barren area of land where little precipitation occurs. (laughs) So a desert wouldn't really come into contact with rain that often, if ever. So can one miss something that they have little interaction with to begin with? I don't know. Yeah. I just don't really think that a desert does miss the rain. That being said, you know, I'm, I'm not mad at this song. Um, nobody pays attention to the fact that, you know, the lyrics make no sense, but... And I miss you like the desert's mister. It's kind of dancey, yeah, sort it's... of. A little bit. A little bit Eurobeast, sort oh, of. Oh, absolutely. If not it's 96, late, late, uh, yeah, late Eurobeats. And look, um, I think that if someone... In that vein. I think, yeah, I think if you're, um, if you're on a first date and you play that song to someone... They'll, they'll probably be impressed, I think. Sure. Think like, yeah, that's fantastic. 1997, Tom, uh, The Prodigy Breathe. Oh, uh, yes. Didn't make it to number one, but biggest song of the year that didn't make it to number one. Yeah. So there you go. Made it to number two, so there you go. So by 97, dance music is definitely part of the mainstream now. It's yes. not Madonna's doing, Madonna's doing fucking, you know, dance music. It's, yeah, it's out in public. Exactly. And this is sort of, um, yeah, we, we talked about a lot of Eurodance tracks making it to number one that sort of have not aged well. But yeah, this that's is, true. This is I more mean, more like sort of what people would call techno. What people would to... call techno, what people would call sort of, I guess, something that comes more from the underground a little bit. Mm. Um, yeah. I guess what you can say is that Culture Beat probably didn't start out in the <laughs> rave scene and then sort of make no, it into the mainstream. No, these were, these were acts that were manufactured strictly for making it to number one. Whereas here's Johnny never really ju- set the exactly. world on fire, unfortunately. Whereas the set. Prodigy is certainly more, yeah, an act that started in the underground and then just yes. so happened to become popular enough to have big songs. And the Chemical time, so. Brothers too. Simultaneously, those two particularly were coming up and you know yeah exactly I mean streamizing dance music so the album before this had Voodoo People which I think was pretty popular such a great yeah Yeah. Voodoo People and Poison those two yeah exactly big dance hits pretty big and then by this album there was this song and Firestarter which um yeah obviously really really big and one of the members ended up dating as we learned in the previous episode a (laughs) member of All Saints yeah so you know they were massive um Tom the follow up single Smack My Bitch Up (laughs) Controversial? <laughs> yes, yeah, I was going to talk about that a bit later on, but yes, it definitely was controversial. Um, you know, I suppose you could say that they didn't rest on their laurels and just uh, <laughs> be, you know, just put out the same song over and over again. Uh, but yeah, um, exactly. yeah, they also had, uh, they had, there were several hits off this album. This is music for the Jilted Generation, is it? Ah, uh, Fat of the Land. Fat, oh, this is we're up to Fat of the Land. We yeah, are. yeah. No, this had funky shit on it. It had yeah, several hits on this, and they started having 
big budget videos at yep. this time too, reflecting their monetary success like they had. Yep. Like Firestarter was quite iconic. That's not a huge budget video, but they could afford to make. This Breathe has a quite elaborate sort of, uh, you know, like a film set type video. You know, it's got yep. costumes and special effects and sets and that sort of thing. Whereas if you go back to No Good Start the Dance, it is just a bunch of high people kind of dancing in a car park with some few colour filters that are possibly cellophane just dropped in front of the lens. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, I think um, prior to this album, most of the the vocals were either sampled vocals or they got like a guest chick in to do some vocals. Whereas Liam, he started actually doing the vocals sort of from this point on. Oh, you mean um, what's his face? Not Liam. Oh, it was a different dude. Liam's the guy who did the music. Okay. Uh, who is the dude? He died recently. The fire starter guy. Oh, okay. The the one with the hair. Okay. The dancing guy. You see, this is why. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, yeah the, an actual member of the group here. would do the vocals. Yes, rather he's than the, the one singing the on vocal. breathe yep. and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. So they sort of did that, and also the from a dance music perspective, um, I guess the Eurobeat shit that was popular before was just that sort of like terrible like programmed same beat mm. for every single song but Prodigy used I guess more break beats and the ki- and sort of the they the they didn't have that sort of like I guess the electronic part keyboards or whatever it didn't it sort of sounded a bit more almost like rock songs in a, in a yeah. sense you know like they had a sort of like using a way of creating almost like a guitar riff or something yes. but using a keyboard which was very different from sort of they were sort of tougher sounding yeah, yeah. exactly yeah sort of a little bit I wouldn't say industrial sounding, but certainly um, different to the yeah. sort of the fact that this was a really popular song at the same time as something like, say, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not culture beat, but uh, entrance. Yeah, you know, like exactly. It's sort of, were oh, very, no, very is, different. It's things. way more musically sophisticated yeah. than that, and even you have to know. I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's Mozart, but like. You, to even know some of the stuff that they're doing, you'd have to know dance music fairly well. Like they would, for different songs, they would draw bits of other areas of dance music. Like some of their songs would be a bit more jungly. Some yeah. would borrow from drum and bass. Yeah. They'd bring, like you say, they'd bring a break beat. You can see the start of big beat in some of their songs, the same as Chemical Brothers stuff that would go on to be like Fat Boy Slim and those guys that was more about the sort of arena filling yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. Like it is quite sophisticated. And then they're still having mainstream chart hits at the same time, you know, and remixing stuff for big artists and shit as well. Like, it's pretty impressive, really. Absolutely, yeah. For people who started out with, like, one guy behind the decks in a nightclub. It's yeah. not bad, really. And this was probably their biggest era in terms of mainstream success, I Yeah, guess, I reckon so. Fat of the Land was yep. their biggest, their high watermark. Absolutely. But, so, yeah. um, this was their only top 10 hit in Australia, okay. but they had 11 in the UK. So pretty. They would have been on the dance charts. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. So they have like an absolute yeah, amazing. Eleven in the UK. Eleven top ten songs in the UK. So pretty impressive. So ninety seven up next. Nineteen ninety eight. The Living End. Second solution. Prisoner of Society. Now, Tom, do you think that these guys needed someone to tell them what to do? Or do you think it's the opposite and they didn't need I someone to tell them what to do? it's more like the opposite. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So look, um, 
the double bass is without doubt that one of the stupidest <laughs> fucking instruments going around, isn't it? I mean, imagine lugging, imagine sort of being the living end and then breaking. Like this song is very popular, and then you know, I think at this point, this song is like an Australian anthem, isn't it? It's almost like a fucking yeah, cold chisel case sound or something like that. Yeah. So, so look, it's a big song. Look, don't, I'm not mad at it. I don't hate it. You know, don't love it. Don't really care for this band. But you know, if I was watching some pre-game entertainment at a basketball game or a football game, I'd be like, yeah, fine, it's a living in, whatever. But, I mean, imagine them getting popular and having to lug a double bass around Europe for six months. Imagine that sort of just <laughs> going on a... We booked a tour around Europe and you've got to carry that. I mean, just get a fucking regular bass. It's got I mean, a weird Jesus kind Christ. of credibility attached to it, which may have something to do with its sheer impractical physical... Yeah, it could be that. <laughs> could, could be, be that. that. Definitely. So, look, I always on. prefer the sharp myself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then 1999, Madison Avenue, Don't Call Me Baby. Oh Christ. Made it yeah. to number two. Madison Avenue, they're always a poor man's euphoria, let's face mm. it. Um, they did have international success with this. So I remember, the, I remember thinking, oh, these guys are pretty big when uh, there was an ad for, at the absolute height of its success, fucking Will and Grace. Yep. The, I think it was the last season... The tr- they had like a TV pre promo for the upcoming final season, and it featured oh, this song it. in it. Not just in the background, but it was like part. They were like doing like you know they were doing like choreographed stuff in times this song. I'm thinking, oh shit, there are two Australians. That's all right. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> At well, least this is their 15 minutes. If it's your 15 minutes, cash in while it's oh, getting no good. Doubt. And look. Uh, you know, hats off to Madison Avenue because they did quit the game after one album, which is what <laughs> something this shit is probably. I think the they had group. one other hit that I can't remember the name. Oh, of, we we'll get to talk about yeah. it next week, Tom. So don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, interestingly, and we don't have to talk about this for very long, but um, the the list that I look at also had the hundredth biggest song of each year. Oh, okay, sure. Um, Nineteen ninety, Janet Jackson, Escapade. Okay. Take you on Never an escapade, baby. Um, this one, the video clip set in Mexico where I assume Michael Jackson is currently living. So I think the music <laughs> video was just sort of um, scouting a place for him sure. to go once he'd faked his death. So yeah, let me take you on an escapade. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Smuggling your fake death brother out to a different country. Um, 1991, 100th biggest song, Mary Had a Little Lamb by Snap. This is rhythm is a dancer. I remember this Snap. Is I don't not, remember yeah, Mary's terrible. Nineteen ninety two, Rocket Man by Kate Bush. Do we need a reggae inflected cover of Rocket Man? Not sure if we do. Probably not. Um, Nineteen ninety three was Tasman Archer Sleeping Satellite. I remember that. Yeah. I thought that got higher than that. I think if someone said to me this is the hundredth biggest song of nineteen ninety three, I would certainly believe them. I don't really. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Oh, um, nineteen ninety four is Culture Beat. Got to get it. Boom. Okay. Hundredth best of nine. This is top seventy five. <laughs> Easy. Fuck knows who's doing this. Um, nineteen ninety five is Heaven for Everyone by Queen. Now I just want to quickly don't mention Tom that. Uh, this is some posthumous bullshit, and look, it's it's. <laughs> oh, that, so is this just after that, he passed oh, away? Oh, it was it? half uh, finished yeah. when he died, yeah. so we're finishing it off as it's what he would have wanted. Mm-hmm. Now I find that you know this happened a lot. Does it? It still happens today. I think in the nineties yeah. it happened a lot with 
I think Freddie Mercury, um, Jeff Buckley when yeah, he yeah they did it with Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, too. they pulled some shit out as well. Um, obviously, Tupac, I think, is still releasing new uh, material yeah, that's these a whole days. Other thing. <laughs> so it's and it's obviously like you know when they say oh we're just doing because it's what he would have wanted. It's you know it's bullshit because most of these dudes didn't want their half finished bedroom fuck around no. trash released in the first place. And look, there's obviously a difference between I think. We talked about when Biggie died um, a few episodes ago where um, it was effectively like his CD was recorded and pressed up and he was killed, you know, as it was about to be released. Oh, so it's, a, okay. it's a finished yeah. piece of work as opposed to sort of like, yeah, as I mentioned before, like Jeff Buckley where it's just like, let's find yeah, some, dig through the hard some demos yeah. and sort of fucking no, do it. So, yeah, it's total bullshit. So look, um, I just hope that when I die, my bedroom recordings aren't released, Tom. So just me fucking around, you know, on a boombox, just um, rapping. So doing sure. some real bad rapping. So 1996 is Take That, How Deep Is Your Love? was the 100th biggest oh, song of the year. BG's cover, fucking hard pass from me. In the music video, they've been taken hostage by an obsessed fan. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been great if this ended up sort of a life imitating art type scenario? And uh, they really were taken hostage by an obsessed fan. Uh, and that scared them out of recording any more material. <laughs> but alas, it wasn't to be. 1997, 100th big of the song of the year was Quad City DJ's Come On Ride at the Train. Oh, yeah. That's an okay. Uh, Miami Bass. <laughs> is, is Miami Bass the US's <laughs> answer to Eurodance? I mean, it's not exactly the same so. thing. But yeah. Uh, it gets the fucking party started, I'll tell you what. 1998, 100th biggest song of the year, Josh Abraham and uh, Amiel Addicted to Bass. Oh, yeah. I actually didn't hate that. Yeah. It's look, not great, but no, it's, you it's know, not bad. But I think if you were at the saloon, that'd be probably the best song you would hear all night. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Interestingly, Tom, like, I know that we live in a society now where obviously, fortunately, I think we realize that, you know, certain vices lead to certain behaviors and people get into certain situations. So we do provide, you know, there's support groups, you know, both government and I guess sort of private where... If you're, you know, a drug addict or, you know, an alcoholic, mm-hmm. gambling addict, you, you do have somewhere to turn. I think, you know, you know, you sort of Alcoholics Anonymous, you can yep. seek some help gambling. You know, there's all sorts of ways that I think if you are struggling and you do find yourself sort of, you know, in a certain situation where your behaviors have led you down the wrong path that you can seek help. But as a society, do we have any safety net for people that are addicted to base? No. Have we done anything for that? Not really. Should no. we be looking into doing that? Should we be, you know, doing you and me, maybe the podcast, should we be doing a charity drive or some sort of, you know, mm. Kickstarter or whatever the case may be to raise money to set up a support group for those that are addicted to well, bass. On the one hand, their lives are so much harder than people who are merely addicted to treble. <laughs> but on the other hand, their lives are easier than people who are addicted to double bass. That's Who true. really have only their own the sharp cassettes oh, and living yeah. in CD sets <laughs> to listen to. You know, if you're addicted to the double strung bass. Strung out on it scratched old copy of second solution you know that you've been mainlining since 1995 for sure and i mean i don't know i've not checked my my workplace's sort of hr policies tom but do you think that it is possible to get some sort of you know special leave for for a base addiction so if you just sort of said look i need two weeks off i am addicted to base Mm, mm. would that fly and if it doesn't 
should it? I mean, should we be lobbying government? Should we be sort of, you know, saying, hey, let's sort of deal with this. We need to deal with this sort of base addiction. Well, let's say, well, what are you actually going to do about it? And say, well, I'm going to the treatment centre in the UK. Just crank so, up oh, the what happens thing. there? It's, no, it's base in the face, London. <laughs> base <laughs> in the face. I mean, that's the problem. That's the thing, though. You are addicted to base in the UK and you walk out the door and you just get mm, hit in the face. by base of sound everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's 1998. 1999. Hundredth biggest song of the year, tearing up my heart by NSYNC. I don't even know what that is. Fucking garbage. All right, done. Sure. What do you got for me, Tom? <laughs> oh, what have I got? Well, what? No, no. What, 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 what do you do want? Last yeah. time. Um, why don't we? I think we did the same thing last year, which yeah. was our uh, last decade, yep. which was that we both had a look at some songs that charted. Um, in countries other than Australia. Okay. Yep. Maybe not number one hits, but things that were in the charts that did not register here. Yep. Or certainly weren't anything high enough for us to have, you know, Absolutely, to talk yep. about. Yeah. So I, I believe you had a look at the U, uh, the UK. Yep. I've, com- and I've compiled. I've got um, uh, New Zealand actually. Oh, okay. So I've I've had a look at some songs that that did actually hit number one. In, oh, okay, sure. In, in the US and New Zealand, but weren't number one. But not one here. Okay, and, some of and, mine were number one. Yeah, some cool. of them, but yeah. All right, what, you want to hit me up first, Tom? What do you got? Um, sure, I did. Uh, I looked around Europe. Europe, yeah, uh, yeah. Which is small place. It's not really a continent, let's face it. The only reason it's called a continent <laughs> is because it was, as it says in the America... Uh, the Daily Show book is because the people who decided what constituted a continent came from there. Yep. But um, there's a lot of little countries there and they've all got their own pop charts. And oh, they all, weirdly, sometimes they're all on the same page. Sometimes they've got very different ideas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is an example of one of them. This was a number one hit in Germany in 1995. Yep. Uh, and Germany only for reasons that might become a bit more apparent. It's called uh, Mief by Doofen. Uh, Mief means in Germany, excuse pronunciation, uh, that means like stink or pong, oh, you know, good, like yeah, Mief. Yeah. And Doofen is the dickheads, you know, or the stupid. <laughs> okay. Uh, the song itself is a mildly charming, bouncy, lo-fi, strum-along melody, uh, plus two harmless-looking dorks in bad comedy suits talk singing over the top of it. Uh, Doofen are a couple of guys who look a bit like Leno and Woodley at about the same time and certainly would have been doing their musical comedy stylings on Hey Hey It's Saturday <laughs> if they'd spoken English instead of German. Comedically, they would have fitted in perfectly uh, with lyrics that start off like this. This is translated. Um, Earwax, necks, grease, bad breath, nail dirt, abundant armpit sweat, oily hair and smelly feet. Chorus, take me now despite my stinking or I'll be waving you goodbye because over there by the next lamppost, another bitch is already waiting for me. <laughs> Do you reckon it's possible for an outsider to summarise an entire country's <laughs> sense of humour or to detach it from other countries' sense of humour? You know, The Germans are known for their comedy time. Mm, so it's, mm, uh, yeah. I mean, you don't want to make generalisations, do no, you? But, you know, we've all heard. I mean, well, for instance... To say that, you know, on the other side of the coin, for instance, I tripped over another novelty song that was a brief hit in Germany in 89 yep. by someone called Werner Wichtig, Pump, Pump Up Dis Beer. Any ideas what that might mean? Um, pump up the beer? <laughs> it means pump off the beer, same, pump, same pump thing, beer. which I didn't need to look up because when you watch the video, it's just two bogans with beards at the pub singing a sort of shitty occasional rock 
influenced cover of Pump Up the Jam by Technotronic. <laughs> Except it's Pump Up the Beer. Now, is that funny? It's definitely funnier than Stink by the two dickheads. Yeah. But more importantly, that could easily have been put out by two Australian bogans in 1989 on Casingle that would have gotten, you know, (laughs) been a big hit in Queensland or something. Didoofan, on the other hand, definitely seemed to have lost their sense of humour on the other side of Google Translate because this just seems like... A, disgusting, and B, incredibly gross and sexist. But anyway, it was only number one for a week, but the album that it came from was at the top of the album charts for six weeks in Germany. It was called Leider die de Welt nicht braucht, which translates as songs the world doesn't need. So I'll give them one star for that. (laughs) Yeah, so what have you got for me? Oh, look, Tom, I just want to say that I think, yeah, the dickheads with stink. (laughs) In Australia... We're so more sophisticated than that. I don't think a song like that would get anywhere near the top of the charts. I mean, we had a lot better Australian artists, <laughs> such as, you know, what, the Vaughns who farted, mm, I believe, yep, which well, is... Twelfth um, Man with uh, <laughs> How Funny Are Pakistanis. I think that was one of the exactly, things. Uh, what's exactly. the deal with the West Indians? For sure. Well, they're a different colour than us. It's crazy. That I, don't know, of... I don't know where... Um, who Farted by the Vaughns charted, but um, ask, ask... Well, it'll always be number one in my heart. <laughs> well, absolutely. Just because I share the surname. You do have the same name as the... Yep, so yeah, Who Farted didn't make it to number one, which shows that in, in Australia we're not sophisticated, <laughs> we're sophisticated enough. We are. So or we're, less. We're less. One of, one more of or less, two. Yeah. So, look, Tom, um, I'm going for Colour Me Bad, one of my favourite artists <laughs> of all time, who had an, a number one in New Zealand and the US, both those countries, with two songs, actually... All for love, and I adore Mia Moore. So okay. fantastic! Um, look, I don't know what your favourite "Colour Me Bad" song is, but look, you've got "All for Love." I want to <laughs> sex you up. Ah, uh, yes. I adore Mia Moore. So that's the one I remembered. Yeah, I mean, what do you think the response would be if you said to someone, "I want to sex you up"? Do you th- <laughs> is that still something that the kids say to each other? Do they sort of? <laughs> I want to. Is that? Did anyone look, ever say that to anyone ever? I prefer you know? just opening with "Let me lick you up and down." <laughs> Do you, you say, say stop? stop. That's right. <laughs> I want to play so. with your body, girl. <laughs> yeah, I want to get freaky with you. I mean, mm. that's that's a great song. So look, I've always respected Color Me Bad. I mean, the All For Love video features each of them in a brightly colored suit, each of a different wow. color, which is really good. I always wanted to dress up as Color Me Bad for like Halloween or something <laughs> like that. But unless you're going on Hey Hey at Saturday or, you know, you're the Prime Minister of Canada or something, you can't really blackface. Mm. So you sort of need... The, that's the thing with Color Me Bad. They're such a racially diverse group. So I think unless you've sort of got a, a posse of dudes where there's like uh, a white guy, a black guy, a sort of, I think sort of... One of the guys, I think, is Hispanic and another guy might oh, okay. be Italian. I, so. I always thought they were all black. No, no, no. Oh, no. There so there's, there's, a, okay. there's a mix. So um, And look, Tom, I wish that I had an Italian friend, a Hispanic friend, <laughs> and a black friend oh, and myself all. so that I could dress up as Colour Me Bad mm. for Halloween. But I feel like with my current friendship group, I'd have to say, can you be the Hispanic guy? <laughs> sure. Can you be the Italian guy? Can you be the black guy? And that's problematic, I think. I don't you think could anyone... always dress up as young black teenagers oh, who true. are all white. Yeah, that's true. There's <laughs> that as well. Absolutely. I could definitely do that. So look, um, maybe I just need to make more friends, I think. It's probably... I'll, I'll try and make a Latino friend sometime this year just for a... Just, but is that... 
at the same time is that problematic you say oh mate you know we should spend more time together why is that oh Halloween's coming up it was the Seinfeld episode (laughs) trying to make friends with a Hispanic guy just so you can dress up as Bellamy Bad for Halloween I don't really know but look so um but, you know, if we look at the Zygeist at the time, these guys were obviously, you know, wow. Oh, they wow. were in nine, an episode of 90210. Oh, didn't get bigger than didn't that. Didn't get bigger than that. Did it. So, for about six months in absolutely. the 90s. So they ended up performing at the Peach Pit, which I think was probably in the <laughs> 90s one of the biggest accolades you could get. So there is there any higher honor? I don't think so. Um, it's the... the <laughs> when Color Me Bad started 90210, they all played themselves... And the acting from the members of Colour Me Bad was so fucking bad that when at the end of the episode, Colour Me Bad walk into the peach pit and meet like fucking David Silver mm-hmm. and uh, the other members of 90210. <laughs> and then one of the members of Colour Me Bad just goes, so do you guys all go to West Beverly High? And it's like the fucking just shittiest thing that I've ever seen on TV. Really bad. Um, but look, one other thing is that Colour Me Bad, they, they broke up uh, and then they got back together and they performed. And I think it was two or three years ago. They had a punch up on stage between oh, the members of Oasis Bad. style. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> and then um, there's like footage of it, I think, on YouTube. And one of the dudes just yells <laughs> at the other guy, I am fucking Color Me Bad. <laughs> Which is the best thing I think that's ever happened, I think. Just someone punching out another member of Color Me Bad and then just declaring, I am Color Me Bad. That's right. So, which is pretty that's amazing. Correct. So, look, um, yeah, so the two songs I mentioned here, All For Love and I Adore Me Amore. I Adore Me Amore is one of the fucking wackest music videos that I think has ever been made. I did say that about November Rain earlier, but this is completely insane. So, what I love about this is that uh, the band appears to be shipwrecked. So, Color Me Bad, they're shipwrecked. On an island, it's just the members of Color Me Bad. They find a trunk on the beach mm-hmm. when they're shipwrecked. They open it up and it's just full of Color Me Bad merch. Yeah. So they just hang that up around the island they're shipwrecked on. So they're just looking at like their own posters yeah. and their own sort of stuff. So that makes no sense to begin with. It's just like, imagine that we're shipwrecked on an island. I hope there's something good in this box, like food or supplies we can use. <laughs> oh, fuck. It's just a Color Me Bad t-shirt and poster. <laughs> the group that I'm in. Holy shit. Well, let's just hang the posters up. What could go wrong with that? So it's just the four dudes. They're all, they just really seem super creepy in this. They do find a chick who also appears to be shipwrecked on the island. No, that's convenient. Which is bizarre. I was thinking that Kelly Bad might end up fucking each yeah. other. <laughs> Not in the 90s, they wouldn't no, have. Oh, they certainly play I was going to say, if, the, if that Bon Jovi video from earlier had come out now, it would have ended two minutes earlier when the two girls just started making out with each oh, other and kicked John Bon Jovi to the curb. Absolutely. Back in the 90s, that wasn't allowed, so you had to sit fire to a fucking art gallery instead. Oh, well, the art, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, would you know, I think that's the problem. When people had more fear about, well, is fear the right word? Or sort of, I guess, some, some reservations some cases, yes. reservations about homosexuality, <laughs> arson was up. Mm, so That's and, right. And so you look at that. So do they end up burning the island down? Well, they don't. Their- unresolved <laughs> homoerotic longing for each other exactly oh, they don't but look they find the weird thing is they find this chick on the island so she's always also shipwrecked but she's just hanging out by herself she's uh, like I'm, there's five people shipwrecked on this island she's just like I don't want anything to do with coming back <laughs> she's just totally fucking hanging out response. solo 
Yeah, exactly. So she just figures that chilling out by herself is better than hanging with those guys. Um, the clip does imply, though, that she bangs all four of them, which seems like a bad idea, with two Ds, might I add, on the bad. So <laughs> for both her and the band, I mean, because she's just going to break the band up if she's sort of trying to hang out with all the dudes. Sure. So, But what, may I just mention that probably the sickest look, I did mention in a previous episode, the sickest look um, is a wetsuit um, with, a, with a sort of suit jacket over sure. the top, sort of indecent obsession style. But I actually think the sickest look is a shombo shirt with love written on it in huge letters in four different cover colors across the front and with that chambray shirt then overalls with one of the straps undone so i think that's pretty much as good yes. as it gets the one strap overall yeah. really had its time to shine in the 90s didn't it Poor yeah boy um, and I just want to say that uh, I don't know which one of them looks more like a sex offender in this. So I think all four it's of very them look real <laughs> sketchy. But yeah, anyway, love Colour Me Bad, uh, power to them. I am Colour Me Bad, by the way, Tom. I'd so, forgotten yeah. I adore Mim. Yeah, oh, it's great. Hey, maybe they left that one guy on the island all that time and that's why he was so resentful. That's the one I remembered. I'd forgotten yeah. I adore me more. Oh, yeah. They're all hits, Tom. All hits. Every single one of them. So, yep. New Zealand and the US love them. So Cool. All right. Uh, up next, uh, we're flying over to Denmark. Ooh, this good. was a number two, although it was also ten in, number 10 in Norway. This is Roller Girl, Dear Jesse. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good. The date. I think this was later in the 90s. I think this is yeah. about 99. Well, that's good because um, that's around the time that I think Aqua were really flying the flag for Denmark. So. Yeah. In fact, I think Aqua might have even come and gone by yep. this point, although they're... Uh, yeah. No, this is was 1999. Okay. So this uh, video takes place at the shittest party of all time. It's 1999, but everyone is dressed like they're at the fucking love shack, except Good. worse, because they're in a tiny sharehouse flat in the dark. Everyone has fucking rollerblades on, and everyone's on ecstasy. Can you even imagine how many times your foot would get run over by white people who suddenly <laughs> think they can dance in the dark at that party? Some cunt kicks the fridge over and pours ice in it like an esky, like, oh... Wow, look at look how inventive I've been by figuring out a way to make a fridge cold. <laughs> the toilets are full of greasy, shirtless guys in vests taking showers in the sink. Some huge guy breaks the sofa by jumping on it. People who've been sweating for six hours and making out. The only thing to drink is mystery liquid out of unmarked plastic bottles in another esky. And then at the end, some prick sticks his ass in the ice in the fridge. Also, the chorus is just the same four lines from a Madonna song repeated a dozen times, and they're pretty fucking annoying the first time, to be honest. Uh, pink elephants and lemonade, dear Jesse, hear the laughter running through the love parade, candy kisses and a sunny day, dear Jesse, see the roses raising on the love parade. That's right. pretty much the only lyrics in the song. Now, what Roller Girl has done there is notice that Love Parade, apart from a meaningless phrase in Madonna song, is also the name of a giant outdoor rave party in Germany. Mm. So there's a, you know, there's a clever crossover yeah. there. Sadly, this song is not even techno. It is shithouse F-tier Eurodance late to the party, including <laughs> giveaways for people who, you know, are so familiar with it as yourself and myself now, such as a video featuring a girl who isn't actually the singer, a video that looks like it costs 80 bucks, the same synth sound from 1992, except they couldn't even find a guy with a flavour saver to bust a shit rap. Very poor. Very poor. <laughs> the synth line is borrowed, the chorus is borrowed, the look is borrowed, the character of Roller Girl is borrowed, even her fucking logo is just the Hot Wheels logo with Roller Girl pasted on. <laughs> 
Boogie Nights used the 70s LA pornography scene to explore the dark consequences of the free love movement and the Hollywood dream following the 60s into the 70s. Nicole Saft here used the character of Roller Girl, an adult pornographic actress with the mind of a child, to explore the dark consequences of the Eurodance movement. <laughs> By this point in the decade, all that was left was a shit party, farty horn synth, and a lady miming in the dark. Terrible. Jeez, Roller Girl. I'm unfamiliar with Roller Girl, Tom, but um, she I'll had a few hits. I checked up subsequently, and by hits, I mean minor <laughs> dance, you know, things in the Netherlands and stuff. And the late, as mentioned, the lady in the video isn't even her. So if you watch the oh, video, okay. yeah, apparently they performed at the Love Parade the first time they performed as a group, and she had like. She had stage fright so severe that she had a nervous breakdown or something, like a panic attack. So they got at the last minute they got someone else to fill in and then she appeared in the video. I don't understand how that works, but supposedly that's what happened. And the weird thing is they look very similar. Usually it's a case of, you know, you know, <laughs> very talented person of one skin colour versus young blonde person <laughs> of another skin colour yeah. doing the miming. But in this case, they both look pretty much the same anyway. Yeah, that's enough about Roller Girl, who I'd never even heard of. Please take it away. Well, Tom, New Zealand are always at the forefront um, of music, I think, and they know what is good. And they sure do. this song made it to number one based on the fact that it is an incredibly great song. And I'm, of course, referring to uh, Green Jelly with Three Little Pigs, Tom. So <laughs> good, on New, good on New Zealand for projecting That's this to the top of the That's pretty popular in so. Australia too, but it never made it that high. No, exactly. Sure. So look, some people might be saying, who's Green Jelly? Well, they were known as Green Jello. For a brief moment in they time were. before they were sued by a craft <laughs> for, and then they had to change the name to Green Jelly, so that was okay. So look, um, Three Little Pigs, as you can imagine, it's a sort of it's it's a hard rock song mm. that reimagines the the child story, the, the the fantastic story that is the three little pigs. And it's sort of, it's a whimsical tale, but of course in this one, the pigs, you know, some of them smoke, smoke a bit of the marijuana, oh, look. some of them get up to some crazy antics, so it's all good time. So look, it's been described as comedy rock, and this is <laughs> novelty hard rock, I guess, but look, they wrote it all the way to number one, and I respect <laughs> that. And in the US, what I respect the most about this is that they released the single on VHS, um, which I think is fantastic. Well, it did have a... Claymation stop, video. Yeah, yeah, stop motion video that looked like someone had put some effort into it. So. It's pretty fun, to be honest, absolutely. So look, um, interestingly, Maynard from Tool does the... the, one of the <laughs> he, he's one of the, the pigs. The, oh, the, okay. The three yep. pigs. So, um, someone else had something to do with it. Danny too. Carey, the drummer from Tool, was ah, in, yes. played, yep. he was in Green Jelly for like five years. <laughs> so he played drums on this track. So basically, um, Green like Jelly is half, half Tool. It's effectively <laughs> that. So um, it's good to know that... But, uh, yeah, the, the, I think one of the guys from Green Jelly, who's the sort of the guy that's been in the band. So effectively these days, so Green Jelly still exists, but what he does is it's just the one, the vocalist guy. <laughs> sure. And what he'll do is he'll, he'll, um, recruit a band in like another part of America uh, yes. and he'll just fly in for the weekend. And he'll do the songs with a with a backing band, and yep. he just does that. So, so effectively, there's been heaps of people doing that. But um, prior to that, yeah, the band actually had you know um, yeah one of the members from Tool on the drum. So it's funny that it's sort of like 
you know, like <laughs> a very serious professional band yeah. has sort of these comedy origins. But I think uh, the dude from Green Jelly said it's it's interesting that Tool, I'm uh, sorry, that Maynard performed on this song because he's been in both the best band in the world and the worst band in the world. <laughs> so um, I, I don't I don't know whether he's implying Tool's the worst <laughs> band in the world and Green Jelly are the best. I'm not really sure. Possibly. But, yeah. So yeah, so this is fantastic. Um, watch the music video for this. It is sort of fun. Like yeah. it's just a fun novelty rock song. I remember seeing it on Rage as a kid and thinking this is pretty cool. So it's probably by today's standards, it probably sounds quite heavy. I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, certainly got loud, crunchy guitars and lots of random yelling mm. and stuff. <laughs> But the band themselves are pretty funny. They they got sued from by Metallica as well, I think, at some stage, because another one of their songs, like it's an original song, but then just in the middle, it, they just put in the riff from Enter Sandman for like the next couple of minutes. So sure, it's just like, why yeah. not? So yeah, good on them. So yeah, novelty rock in all of its finest forms. That's Green Jelly, Three Little Pigs. So good times. Yeah, man. I remember listening to that several times. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Okay, we're in the Netherlands still. Good. Uh, this was two weeks for number one in 1990. Two live crew with <laughs> Me So Horny. <laughs> now, in the late 80s, while NWA were getting in trouble for violent lyrics, two live crew were getting in trouble with sexual lyrics, especially on this album, As Nasty As They Want To Be. Yep. Uh, this song, along with tracks like Put Her In The Buck, Dick Almighty and The Fuck Shop, <laughs> <laughs> Anti-pornography Florida lawyer Jack Thompson to take the group to court after engineering campaign that led to the album with its 87 descriptions of oral sex and 116 descriptions of male and female genitalia being labelled obscene in Lee County, Florida and therefore illegal to sell or perform live. A Fort Lauderdale record store owner was arrested for selling the album to an undercover cop. Must have been a snow <laughs> cop day. And members of the group were arrested in Miami for performing songs from it. Eventually, a jury acquitted the group on account of the whole thing being dumb as shit. But Thompson learned a lesson, however, which is that he could keep getting in the newspapers with crap like this. If his name sounds at all familiar, it might be because he spent the next 30 years being an irritating, censorious, publicity-whoring grifter... Uh, he filed lawsuits against various other musicians on grounds of obscenity, fought a long legal censorship battle against Howard Stern, which caused an enormous boom in Howard Stern's ratings, and in the aughts turned his sights against video games, filing suits and or publicity denouncing, publicly denouncing at different times Mortal Kombat, Grand Theft Auto, Counter-Strike, Valve Software, Rockstar's Game Bully, Manhunt, Halo, The Sims 2, and the Christian Evangelical Left Behind games. Mm. He once described the proliferation of games by Sony, a Japanese company, as Pearl Harbor 2. And when that wasn't getting him in the papers enough, he started to promote himself as an expert on mass killings. Oh, good. Going on TV and predicting mass killers' psychologies based on his expertise as a lawyer. <laughs> Uh, Thompson predicted that the perpetrator of the Beltway sniper attacks would be a teenage boy who plays video games and speculated incorrectly that he may indeed ride a bicycle to and from his shooting locations, uh, saying that the shooter Lee Boyd Malvo had trained on Halo Thompson later claimed credit for this on the Today Show. I predicted that the Beltway sniper would be a teenage boy that traded on a game switch to sniper mode. Uh, John Muhammad, who was the shooter, was a Gulf War veteran and earned an expert marksmanship badge in the US Army. <laughs> Thompson also once represented the parents of an 11-year-old who had committed suicide because the police 
thought it was an accident and that he'd somehow ended up hanging himself by accident while imitating Kenny from South Park, despite the fact that the parents testified he'd never watched South Park. Good. Sadly, after 20 years or so of earning gigantic legal fees being a huge, irritating twat, the Florida Supreme Court officially disbarred Jack Thompson for filing endless, frivolous bullshit lawsuits, lying constantly on the stand and attacking and libeling litigants. He rarely won a case, got dunked on every day by teenagers for 20 years, and was such an arsehole that even other lawyers thought he was an arsehole. But being an incompetent, delusional white guy nonetheless managed to earn a giant salary and retire to an enormous house. Nonetheless, Ben, I like to imagine him of an evening, sitting on the porch out in the balmy twilight, with a glass of fancy single malt and a big phallic white person cigar, staring out into the evening but hard as he tries, and as fancy as the scotch is, he can never quite truly relax because at the back of his mind, he's still hearing lyrics like, Girls always ask me why I fuck so much. I say, what's wrong, baby doll, with a quick nut? Because you're the one and you shouldn't be dad, shouldn't be mad. I wouldn't tell your mama if you don't tell your dad. I know he'll be disgusted when he sees your pussy busted. <laughs> so, which is from me to me so horny. Uh, yes, the rest of the song is pretty much just the sample from Full Metal Jacket of Me So Horny. But weirdly, you would expect, uh, if this if this song was written nowadays, you would it would be the woman saying yeah. Me So Horny. But in this song, it's all about the guys talking about how they so horny. So yeah, but apparently that was too much for 1990. <laughs> but anyway, shout out to the Netherlands for putting that at number one. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Tom. Um, I think to to start off with, did he have a was was he doing like psychic predictions for who the killers would be, or was it just more sort of like? A, <laughs> oh no, he <laughs> did. He also did um, the fucking after the uh, what was it? The he couldn't see into the future, but he was just sort of he predicted. Uh, so someone with Virginia do? Tech thing. He went uh, on the Today Show two hours after it when they didn't even know what gender the killer was, and, and made his bold and said, "Oh no, he'll he he's he's been playing." Um, first person shooting games he's been playing Counter-Strike yep. I'll, I'll grant you and he also made a bunch of racially <laughs> extremely dubious content, uh, comments about how you can see his by his blank face that he's like his unmoving gaze that he's got the dead-eyed stare of video game player Great. and then it later turned out that uh, the the actual killer's favourite video games according to his roommate was Sonic the Hedgehog yep so that'll do it Tom training to jump up and down on robot echidnas the whole time and yep that really helped him train for a school shooting once you've been fighting against Dr. Robotnik for Mm, such a period of time you will want to kill someone so look it's yeah that's crazy so um, good to see that he he had all the big video games in his sights was Alex the kid in Miracle World on that list no but The Sims 2 which is basically a virtual doll set was on there and the Christian video game left behind, which it. apparently That'll wasn't Christian enough for him. Look, it is yeah. it is funny though how I think people look at music today and they sort of say, "Oh, it was so much wholesome," you know, more wholesome <laughs> in the old days. You know, two thousand twenty. Oh, the the music. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, remember back in the remember thirty years ago? Remember back in the old days when music was so much better, like um, me so horny. And uh, <laughs> and look, I'm a, I'm an avid fan of. Um, Two live crews pop that coochie, Tom. The video clip yes. of which is just effective. I remember in, um, I think Iggy Azalea, my favourite female <laughs> Australian rapper of all time, um, sure. when she 
popped up in about 2015 and said, I think she claimed to have invented twerking. She said, that's mine. I did that. That's all, you know, I think she said, I'm I'm all about that. I think Miley Cyrus like twerked in some video and she's like, I I invented this. Sure. Miley ripped it off for me. And it's like, well, if you watch that Pop That Coochie video from 1991, yeah, yeah, that's pretty great. So Unfortunately, um, when looking back and listening back, you do notice that a lot of their videos and their lyrics were more fun than their actual rapping, which is pretty shit ass. <laughs> I'm hard, hard like a rock. I'm going to make that coochie pop. But um, in the uh, pop that coochie, um, if you remember that video clip, at the start it has all the TV execs sitting around like, watching <laughs> yes. the music vid about how it's like, what's up next? And then they and everyone, and they sort of do that. So it's sort of self-aware in the sense yeah. that every, all that they cut to the people going, oh, fucking hell. What's this about? Oh, they were unashamedly just yep. pervy and gross. That's yep. what I mean. Like this song nowadays, it would be about how all the girls want to fuck the hip, the cool guys. In this one, it's no, we're just super horny too, to want to bone everything in a dress. And in the video, the video prominently features a number of women in various states of undress, but they all show a distinct lack of interest yep. in the guys in the band. They are not like gl- sliding no. all over them in any way. So they all look like they're just on the way out the door. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, interesting as well and Pop That Coochie video is that at the very start, the dude has some like crystal balls. And, like, <laughs> I was going to say, fucking, is that the video? He does some like voodoo <laughs> shit to get, to get the chicks out of bed to come yes, to the party. Except so they've gone, uh... There's nothing pervy about rubbing a crystal ball. What if we put two crystal balls so it looks like a pair of tits? And then just like start rubbing them and then it sort of sends out these vibes to the chicks that are in bed yes. in bikinis. They're like yep. just in bed in but a bikini. The power of and the then they wake up like, yeah. and then they wake up and they go to the party and just twerk in a pool. Oh so look, it's, it's one of the great videos of the eighties. One of my too. favorites, absolutely it's fantastic. So look yeah, very good. Good that oh. two live crew made it in. So look um, Yeah, it's just squeaked in at the start of the decade. Uh, up next, Tom, also from New Zealand. These guys know what's up. Uh, S Club 7, S Club Party. Ah, Number yes. one. Number one song in New Zealand, Tom. Look, I've conducted... Certainly number one in the hearts of Josh Christ. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've conducted poll after poll after poll. And from all accounts, Tom, there ain't no party like an S Club mm, party. Most mm. people team seem to agree. I mean... There may be better parties, but there's certainly no party like an S Club That's party. That's right. So, yeah. Look, uh, you're, you're an S Club 7 fan, I know. Oh, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think the thing about this song for me personally is that, um, look, it, it the thing about S Club 7 is that there's seven members in the band and each mm. of them all have their own character and their own yes. sort of vibe and what they're going for. Uh, and in this song, they all sort of have, I guess, they spell out what they want. What they want from an S Club party. So sure. Tina, she's doing her dance. Okay. John, he's looking for romance. Mm-hmm. Paul's getting down on the floor. Hannah, she's screaming out for more. We want to see Bradley swing. Rachel do her thing. Joe, she's got the flow. Get ready, everybody, because here we go. So each member of S Club said... Does that all- imply that Joe couldn't make it to the party because... She was at home with a water bottle. And, I'm not, you know, not really sure. Because <laughs> the Red Baron was in town? Is that well, that's what, it's, <laughs> that's what it's implying. And I think that's what the S Club party, there ain't no party like an mm, S Club that's party. That's very sex positive so and it's, female it's, body positive. Sure. It's all, it's ahead of its hey, time. you can't time. always go to the party, you know. No, you can't. One month, of, one week a month. You stay at home. Yeah, mm. it's exactly what you do. And I think with, with this as well is that a lot of people don't realise that, um, you know, sometimes a member leaves the band. Yeah. And you don't know what to do. 
Sometimes two members leave the band. What do you do? Sometimes three members leave the band. You get a replacement. Sometimes four members leave the band. What do you do? Well, if you're S Club 7, you simply change your nub to, name to S Club 3. You just keep on going. Tom. Hey, let's face That's it. Great. Seven is a frankly impractical number of people to have in oh, a fucking is, band absolutely. anyway. Absolutely. So look... Um, so this is a great song. There ain't no party like an S Club party. It gets me pumped up to this day. So oh, S- for those too. that don't know S Club 7, they're, from, they're a UK band, seven dudes, uh, four girls, mm. three guys, I believe. Sort of the post-post Spice Girls. Post-post Spice Girls, yep. They had their own TV show. Um, and in that TV show, as well as a pop pop career, they had a TV show. So in that show, S Club 7, they moved yes. to Miami. They're, they're from the UK. They moved to Miami to try and make it big. So it's sort of, I guess, a bit of an autobiographical type TV show. They also sort of give off the vibe of like that sort of slightly crazed vibe of kids TV show presenters. I think this feels like kids TV. Yeah, that sort of almost drug-induced level of bounciness. Yeah, absolutely. So in the TV show, they move there. They're doing their S Club party thing. While they're waiting for their big break um, to, to make it, obviously, they get a job working at a hotel. That's what happens. They're working there, they're just working at the hotel while performing at night, waiting to make it big. But they get into trouble with the Department of Labor (laughs) as the hotel has employed foreigners and S Club 7 don't have the correct visas, Mm. Tom. So that is a problem for any young band that goes international to try and get their big break. Make sure you have the correct visa. I can't spell that out enough. So... What happens is they need to go to court, um, obviously because they've breached the law. In court, the band persuades the judge to let them stay by performing one of their hits. <laughs> so, you sure. know, you've broken the law, but, you know, hey, can we bring this into evidence? Mm. S Club ain't no party like an S Club 7. The, the S Club party, the judge, he's fucking loving it. He's using, like, the gavel. He's hitting it on the desk in time <laughs> of the music. He's sort of dancing around, and everyone's, like, happy with that. And then he just says... Case dismissed. The song is so great. It's no so, stupider than the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Oh, exactly right. So in the end, I think that um, it's an accurate portrayal of a working courtroom, and it's also a great song. So mm. I think it's good that S Club Seven. And also good legal advice. Very good legal advice. If you go to court, just perform a song, mm. because as we've learned from things like X Factor and Idol, people love music. So mm. if you're in front, you know, in front of a jury of your peers. Mm. Sing a song and they'll be like, that's pretty yeah. good. And, and as quick. we've learned from Air Bud, if there's nothing in the rule book that explicitly prohibits you doing a thing, then that means you are logically allowed to do the thing. Correct. So if there's nothing in the statute of the, that county's law enforcement policy that says you are not allowed to perform a song in this courtroom, even if there's seven of you and you're all hot 20-year-olds, then, yep. you know... You might as well give it a shot. Just give it a go. What's mm. the worst that could happen? Nothing, I don't think. So, look, this is a great song. Um, life lesson as well regarding what to do in a courtroom if you are facing a criminal trial. Just go for it with the song, Good Times. S Club 7, S Club Party. Love it. I have a special, speaking of personal attachments, yep. won't crap on, but I lived, lived in a share house once with a guy who's very big on S Club 7, mm. as well as a lot of heavy metal. And we had a sort of... After, after a while, we sort of evolved with our Friday night, Saturday night routine, which was that regardless of who was in the house or what we had been listening to up until that point, there were two or three songs that had to be played before we charged out of the house and went out on the town. Yep. And that one of them was S Club Party. Yep. One of them was Bullet in the Head by um, Raging Against the Machine. Yep. And the other one was 
I can't remember. It was probably something by Fear Factory or something like that. Look, that's, that's a good double team, I think. Not a lot of people would have uh, S Club 7 and Rage Against Machine in the same playlist. After you've had about it. eight Powers Ice cans, yeah, they do seem to yeah, seamlessly blend together actually. as though Nick Skits himself could not have mixed them. <laughs> I was going to say. DJ Sammy could not could have programmed them more yeah. smoothly. DJ Sammy should be able to get S Club 7 <laughs> into Bullet in the Head. So yeah, I reckon DJ Funk could have. Um, okay, uh, that's enough about DJs <laughs> from my childhood. Absolutely. Uh, what have we got next? Um, okay. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. All right. 1992, number one in Belgium, yep. France, Hong Kong, Italy, Greece, and Spain. Geordie de de d'être bébé, a.k.a. it's tough to be a baby, which I will now say because my the combination of Australian and French accents is one of the ugliest things in the world. Geordie is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records, Ben, as the youngest singer ever to have charted a number one single. Okay. He achieved this in 1998 at the age of four and a half Good. with the song It's Tough to Be a Baby. Uh, it's Tough to Be a Baby was number one for 15 weeks in <laughs> France. Hell. Just to put that in perspective, that's two weeks longer than any song was number one in the entire decade of the 90s in Australia. That was a record at the time, yeah. and it was a dance hit across Europe, Brazil, Latin America, South Korea, and Japan. It landed at number 58 on the Billboard Hot 100, making Geordie the youngest artist to ever chart there. He is the son of music producer Claude Lemoyne, who was involved with the Rockets from 1976 to 1992, then then involved in culturally sanctioned child abuse from 1992 to 1996, which was when he was pimping out his toddler on TV and awards shows uh, for, I assume, his personal gain, unless that toddler was unusually savvy with money. Still, I have to say, you know, Ben, sometimes when there's a thing that you really want to hate, you know, before you've even heard it or seen it, like yep. you just think, oh, I want to hate it. But then when you finally force yourself to experience it, it turns out to be somehow better than you thought it was going to be. Yep. This is not one of those things. Geordie <laughs> sings and dances with the talent of a four-year-old being prodded onto stage by a pastor musician who should be in court on child abuse charges. Uh, he performed on stage once at the American World Music Awards with actual musicians in the audience. Prince and Whitney Houston are on camera looking visibly appalled, possibly because of the song, but probably because he's fucking four years old. Yep. Eventually, in the mid-90s, France stopped playing his records over concerns that his parents were exploiting him. Yeah, you think <laughs> so? That occurred to you, did it? By the time he was nine, Larry Flick from Billboard wrote, He's an artist who can make the members of Criss Cross look like old fogies. He added, Five-year-old rapper slash singer from France has topped the charts in almost every country in the free world and a few that aren't. The concept is simple. Geordie chirps and rhymes in French about the rigours of childhood over a bouncy pop dance beat. Top 40 pundits who regularly indulge in wacky novelty items will be salivating after the first chorus. I'm saying Larry Flick should have been immediately fired for his musical opinions and then put on some sort of watch list. But yeah, that's the Geordie story and thank Christ that was the end of the Geordie story. Uh, If you're wondering what happened to Geordie, he went off to lead fortunately what seems like sort of a normal life until he uh, became the, you know, a teenager and then he tried to get back into the music industry aged about 18 in the sort of the late aughts and released a couple of 
I think he had a couple of French sort of songs, probably off the back of, you know, people going, oh, it's that guy whose parents put him on stage when he was four. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that sounds fucking yeah, garbage. Yeah, it's absolutely appalling. But did I mention how many countries that was number one? Oh, it's, it's amazing, awesome. really, that nobody's done it with a three-year-old, frankly. Yeah, exactly. Look, I've got a three-year-old now. I might try and <laughs> get it to sing a song next week sure. that we can do. Um, yeah, look, that's fucked. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the best thing you could say about it is that it does prove uh, that there's a certain truth to the title of the song that it is tough to be a baby <laughs> if your parents are psychotic at and least. force you to do things. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, awful. That's awful. Um, look, Tom, I'm going to the US of A. I'm flying, getting on the plane heading no, over there. So, sure. um, what I've got up next is uh, made it to number one. Wow, okay. one of your favourites, Tom Nelson. Can't live without your love and affection. <laughs> So, which is fantastic. So, uh, remind us of the Nelson story. Um, so, the Nelsons—they're twins, yeah, uh, twin brothers, um, which is fantastic. So, the names are Matthew and Gunner. Mm. Um, I am not a big fan of parents that have twins and go one normal name, <laughs> Matthew, mm. and then one kind of wacky name, Gunner. Mm. So it's like, oh, what are you going to call you? You know, how about Ganymede and Stephen? You know, it's just sort of like you're <laughs> yeah, at school. I'd so say you, one or the other. I think one you either both. go two crazy yeah. names or two normal names, yeah. but it's just like, yeah, it's sort of like a, an experiment, isn't it, to see if one of the kids ends up totally fucked <laughs> up because he's, he's named after like something off the periodic table or the other one's just called Gary. So look, <laughs> anyway, so um, their dad uh, was Ricky Nelson. Ah, yes. He had a number one single in the US and his Ricky Nelson's dad so the Nelson brothers grandfather also had a number one song oh okay so as far as I know I I couldn't find anything to the contrary this is the only instance of three generations having a US number one hit on the Billboard charts yeah I mean god I'd struggle who else could possibly have done that so let's hope that Miley Cyrus can have a kid that can get a song to number one <laughs> can, so that we can, can get you sort of... remember Ricky Nelson's? I feel like I should know that. Oh, it's old. It's pretty old. I, oh, okay. It's one of those, going back to... One far. of those sort of classic, you know, songs that I'm sure yeah. as soon... I can't remember the name, but... Oh, I think you may have had more than one, but you'll just be like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so look, anyway, so yeah, three generations, fantastic. They had really long, blonde, flowing hair. Yeah. And this song makes extreme more than words look like Morbid Angel in terms of intensity. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking yeah. weak as fuck. Mm. So, yeah. Look, this is sort of pretty shit early 90s. And it's it's at that time where I think that they sort of... I think prior to this song, they sort of had a bit of a poison hair metal yeah. thing going yes. on. Yes, yeah. And then they went, oh, I don't know whether this is going to last forever. Let's try and diversify a bit. And unfortunately, mm. they hitched their wagon to the wrong <laughs> horse because they sort of said, let's go. Okay, people aren't liking hair metal. Let's go this sort of puss rock <laughs> thing. Yes. And then about six months later, grunge hit. And everyone was just like, oh, these guys are weak as fuck. So I feel like uh, I feel a bit sort of, well, I don't feel bad for them, but I feel like that if they had have waited a year, they, they probably would have been doing like some sort of Stone Temple Pilot style grunge type work, I think. Yeah, so, and it would have sucked. It would well. have sucked as well, absolutely. They should have stuck with the poison thing. Yeah, yeah, seriously. this is fucking garbage. Um, but yeah, look, I don't really know what to say about more than this. And if you want to see uh, twins with long flowing blonde <laughs> locks seeing a real weak as shit sort of yeah. like 
post hair metal song, then this what is what What was it got. called again? Can't Live Without Your Love yeah. and Affection. So God. Can't Live Without Your mm. Love and Affection. Yeah. Awful. They had an... I think they had another... Not not a number one, but they flirted with the charts with another some other pissy belt. Some other piece of shit, exactly. So that's Nelson. What do you got for me, Tom? Sure. Okay, we've got um, 1994. Yep. uh, The number seven in Germany and number four in Austria. Oh yeah. This is E hyphen Rotic. Max, don't have sex (laughs) with your ex. E hyphen Rotic were a German Eurodance act comprising in the time honored tradition of a white lady who could sing a little bit, a black guy who could rap a little bit, and a synthesizer with buttons that you could press to make basic (laughs) rhythms come out of holes in the top. Um, Yeah, so as I said, number seven in Germany, number four in Austria. Uh, E hyphen Rotic's videos involve a lot of grade 10 level pencil case type illustrations, loosely animated. (laughs) They really do look like they were drawn by possibly someone in the band or a friend of the band with a texter yeah. and sort of very, very, let's use the word animated, loosely animated. Uh, their stage performances involved a lot of vinyl vests and performances, performers whose live contributions to the songs were equally synthetic, including, again, the old Eurodance classic thing of it being very hard to tell whether the people on the stage are miming to their yeah. own voices or to someone else's voices. Uh, E-Rotic had a few more hits, but sadly the E-Rotic heat was too much. Founder Lan Lee was sick of the juvenile innuendo and tacky lust involved in E-Rotic songs, so she formed her own band, S-E-X Appeal. Good. <laughs> it later turned out there's dots between those, by the way. It's yeah. E full stop E. It was standard something. full stop E. Classic. Full yeah. stop X Appeal. It later turned out in Grand Eurodance tradition that of the five listed vocalists on the various erotic albums, only two had ever actually done any of the vocals. Good. And of the four listed rappers, only one of them had ever actually rapped on any of the songs. I'm starting to think that quite a lot of African-American tourists paid their way through backpacker holidays in the mid-90s by just <laughs> miming along to Eurobeat hits in plastic pants and a cloud of smoke. So, yeah, that definitely seemed to be the E-Rotic story. They were never huge, but they had many other hits in their native Germany and Austria after Max Don't Have Sex With Your Ex, such as Fred Come To Bed, Willie Use A Billy, Fritz Love My Tits, Oh Nick Please Not So Quick, Molly Dolly Brackets Loves Her Lolly, Ralph, don't make love by yourself. VJ the DJ. I mean, they missed out with BJ. Yeah, Come on. Jesus and Christ. Mambo number six. <laughs> I did not make any of those up. Those are all real songs. So, yes. I mean, I'm not sure which is my favourite. Fritz Love My Tits and Mambo number six. It's hard to, it's hard to pick. It's hard to yeah. really know. Yeah. That was the e-erotic story. Anyway. Look, I'm, a, I'm an avid fan of erotic, erotic Tom. Um, look, I, I'm familiar with their work as a sort of D-tier Eurobeat sort of <laughs> artist. They've come up across my radar at least um, they tried to differentiate themselves yep, I'll give definitely. them that like they thought they did to try, try to find a niche you know yep. but it, you're right though it is that it is that sort of D tier Eurobeats with the absolute classic formula of the Max don't have sex with your ex yeah and then the dude comes, and then the dude comes in with a terrible <laughs> the really bad rap and I think you're right wearing like a pleather vest as well in that live yep. I think it's fucking so great and um, Tom do you know what their greatest hits album was called <laughs> No, please let me know. Erotic 
greatest tits. Oh, so see they, they rode that gimmick to the logical conclusion, Tom. They they, they sort of squeezed every ounce of sexual innuendo out of every song title, every album title. So, yeah, they're fantastic. So it's good that they've made a mention on the podcast because yes. it is definitely, um, yeah, great, great, great Eurobeat mm. action. So, cool. Sure. So what should we look at next? Oh, I'm still in the USA, Tom. Oh, sorry. Uh, so you got one more. Behind my last yeah, one. no, you went So first. last one, Tom. I'm still in the US of A. Um, my last song. This is also number one single in the US oh, okay. of A. Uh, the Heights, How Do You Talk to an Angel? Oh, yeah. The Heights. That is a timeless question, though, I think. Mm. How does one talk to an angel? And I'm glad that someone has finally raised <laughs> that in a song. Sure. I mean, we could ask Meg Ryan in City of Angels, so I know sure. that she had to talk to Nicholas uh, Cage. Cage. We don't really know how that worked out, but how do, how do you talk to an angel? How do you hold her close to where you are? How do you talk to an angel? It's like trying to catch a fallen star. Now, for those that don't know the Heights story, the Heights, um, there was a TV show. They're, they're a fictional TV band, ah, the yes, Heights are. That so what happened was, um, off the back of... We, we've spoken about 90210 previously. Yep. Obviously, Colour Me Bad featured on that. Uh, Aaron Spelling. So we, we know that in the 90s, Fox TV was a new thing. Yep. So it seems crazy now, but there was a period of time where... Uh, there wasn't Fox News that didn't exist or uh, that it was non-existent so all there was was the Fox sort of it was a new TV station yeah. they had effectively the Simpsons mm-hmm. now it was like it so they needed more more shows yeah. so they had Nona 2 and O, Aaron Spelling who had had heaps of hits in like the 70s and yeah, 80s yeah he did like just, Dynasty and all these yeah. big soapies uh, Love Boat all that sort of bullshit so they got him on board to do Beverly Hills Nona 2 and O. Very popular show. We love that. Uh, spin-off, Melrose Place. Yeah. So they Big just kept yeah. saying, Aaron, we need more. What yeah. do you got? What's in the tank? So he came up with The Heights, which features a fictional band called The Heights. I mean, it's not the worst. And then here. they had a TV show. And interestingly, the TV show was only on for one series and actually got cancelled after like eight or nine episodes. Mm. And the show got cancelled. And I think the week that the show got cancelled, this song... Went to number one huh. on the Billboard charts, and they were like, "Oh, maybe we should have kept it around a bit." But interestingly, this is the there hasn't been a number one song on the Billboard charts from a fictional <laughs> band since because they're oh, not yeah. a real band. It's just like no. a TV I mean, band. You'd so, be like the the Archies or the Monkeys or something. Well, exactly. Like I, I found that surprising because I just assumed that California Dreams surf dudes <laughs> with attitudes. Kind of groovy. Yeah. You know, laid back dudes. I thought that those surf dudes with attitudes, they would have had a number one hit, but they didn't. Yeah. So anyway, so last number one hit from a fictional band, Jamie Walters, I think, who was the late, the lead singer of The Heights. He later went on to star. He was an actor in 90210 as well. Oh, okay. So he performed in that. So he was that. But what I loved about The Heights, and I, I can remember watching it as a, as a child. I was quite young, but I do recall that someone, the TV show was fantastic. Someone would come in and say, got a new song for you. And they'd, they'd play like one chord, just like, you know, <laughs> and then like the whole band would just join in, yep. and then by the end, you know, they've got it like absolutely perfect, like the dudes doing the sax solo <laughs> perfectly, every drum feel was perfect, every, and it's just like the out, old what, Back out. to the Future technique, <laughs> follow me right. for the changes, exactly right. The whole song. So figure that out. So it was fantastic. Um, this is great. Did anybody star in... I don't never actually... I remember it vaguely from the time, but did anybody star in the show that actually went on to do anything or did they all just vanish? 
so the, into nah, the heights uh, yeah, apart, of obscurity. So apart from Jamie Walters, who was the, the main character in this, who went on to be a 90210 as like a love interest of yep. Donna um, in the later series. And he released, I think, like a solo album as well. Oh, okay. Off yep. the back of the oh, heights. Oh, so they were musicians of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Of sorts, yeah. He <laughs> was, like I the think. the monkeys, sort of. Kind of, <laughs> kind yeah, exactly. Of. But no one else in the show, I think, did absolutely anything. So look, sure. anyway... But yeah, great song. Well, great. Yeah, I remember it. Song, I re- so. you know, I remember it, and I didn't even know it was off. I didn't even know they were a fictional band. I just thought absolutely. They were so there you go. It. So that's it. That's five songs from um, overseas. That uh, well, five for me, five for you. That I enjoyed. Hi, Ben and Tom here from Sunglasses at Night podcast. Usually we don't edit our episodes or cut them into parts, but we figured that this week we should do that. We've made an artistic decision to take the 90s rap and divide it into two mm. because it goes for uh, four hours. <laughs> Frankly, unrealistic. An unrealistic amount of time. So we've taken the artistic decision. I should point this out. It's a very artistic decision to cut the episode into two. I mean, sure, also I've paid for the really cheapest tier of our podcast hosting sort of site and um, they won't allow us to have episodes that go for this long. So I tried to upload it and they rejected it, but we're cutting it in half, not because of that. I mean, we have to do it for that reason, but this is a very artistic decision to cut it in half to provide you with a more palatable two-hour episode and then next week a two-hour episode and also it means that we get uh, two episodes of podcasts for one episode of work and we're all about creating <laughs> as much content as possible we want to we want to get them up Stop. so that we want to try and get to 100 episodes as fast as possible <laughs> so that when people say what do you do oh we're professional podcasters oh how many episodes have you got we've got 100 you know when you say mm. 10 no one cares 20 no one cares but 100 people like that so we might actually edit the old Episodes, Tom. I'm thinking one song per episode. We up to we be up to like 400 episodes by now. And sure. People will be very very impressed. And so everybody knows in podcasting when you hit episode 100, that's when the real money starts. Exactly rolling. right. It's all about quantity, not quality, <laughs> and that's what we're going for with this. And you get residuals, and you can retire until the. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking of 1980s sitcoms. <laughs> 1980s sitcoms. Exactly right. So we're cutting this in half. Um, so this is this is the end of part one. But join us for part two, um, where there'll be a lot more great stories and anecdotes and everything about uh, the 90s in the 90s rap part two. So let's have a listen now to what you can enjoy in next week's episode. So, Tom, I was doing some research for the 90s rap and, and having a look and, you know, we've spoken a lot about grunge, obviously, mm-hmm. in this. And um, I'm not sure whether you're aware, but um, obviously one of the, the biggest bands of, of the 90s that have continued through to today are the Foo Fighters. Sure. With, um, with, with their vocalist and guitar player, Dave Grohl. Now, Tom, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Dave Grohl, before he was in the Foo Fighters, he used to be in uh, Nirvana. Yes. Yeah, it used to be. Yeah, did you know that? Because I, I only <laughs> learned about that just doing the research for the show. Yeah, yeah. And he, but in that band, he didn't do the 
guitar or uh, sing. He he played the drums in that one, mm-hmm. so he did the drums in that, and then he's gone on to do that. So that's it's a pretty interesting fact that a lot of people know, and I think that'd be you know useful for a lot of our listeners at home. And um, also, never mind that that album was produced by um, a guy whose name was Butch Vig. Yes, more like um, Butcher Vig, the, the butcher of good music. Tom, am I right? Is that right? <laughs> the Butch. Butch, yes. Butcher of, yep. Yep, it's a great. Butcher, butcher of good music, isn't that right? Yeah, yes. absolutely. And he um, he doesn't only produce, but he's also in a band called um, Garbage. Can you believe mm, that? Mm. Pretty apt name because um, because the um, not not only is the band the name of the band Garbage, but um, <laughs> their music is also um, garbage. Is that right? Oh, I mean, if only they'd thought of that when they named exactly. <laughs> It's a pity it never occurred to them. <laughs> so there's just a few of the, the antics and, and stories we'll be telling next oh, week well. um, in part two. So please tune in for part two. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Spotify. Can, what? Can you do that? I don't even know. You, can you follow things? Whatever. Let's say you can. Yeah, you can. Just or one of the, what are the other ones? But not iHeartRadio because we don't like them because they do that Jackie O and Car Sandlands <laughs> bullshit. So yeah. But thank you and please listen next week for part two of the '90s rap. Sure.